This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game, X-rated edition, because with me <laughs> <Whoa>. I have, <laughs> you gotta always have one right, it's two... we were two episodes off of episode 69, uh, I feel like <laughs> I feel like you guys both should have moved your respective tournaments back so we could talk about them on that episode. <laughs> sounds fair man, sounds fair. Uh, so so yeah. with me, I have uh, Bam Bam from the Flying Monkey Podcast and the Flying Monkey Con, uh, which if you listen to this podcast, you've probably heard their their commercial a few times, and Sean, the voice, Abuse Puppy. Just bringing that little piece of NPR to all of you out in 40k land. Yeah, and I'll try and ruin that ambiance for you guys. No, you no, got- it's you gotta have that contrast, that's what sells it. Is that okay? Yin and yang there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I feel like when I hung out with my my Imperial Beach marijuana smoking buddies and my college buddies for the first time. I feel like, <laughs> right. I feel like it's right now. You, you bring those two groups of folks. Yeah. Never the Twix shall meet. Yeah, I can run in the other <laughs> room, grab some Birkenstocks. So that makes you feel better. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh. All right, so we, we've got we've got an interesting show for you guys. We have two only two tournaments to talk about. Um, well, actually, two and a half because I played I played this weekend as well. I went to a small RTT, hmm. uh, and I'll talk about those games a little bit because there was definitely some learning going on with me in my list, and I'll give you guys my updates on my night list. Um, so we're going to oh, talk about yeah. the Flying Monkey Con, and specifically the Flying Monkey 40K GT or 40K Open, I should say. Congratulations, Brian, on hitting Open status. And, yeah. Go ahead. No, I just saying. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, and then the Boise Cup, which I think hit fifty-eight players. So I think there was it also did. an open. Yeah. So, uh, those of you who are unfamiliar with the way ITC grades tournaments, uh, there is RTTs or Rogue Trader tournaments, which are generally smaller events. Uh, there are GTs, which which sound cool because they're the grand tournaments, but they're actually the middle tournament. It's usually between twenty-five and and forty people. So usually the average is around 30. And then there are the open tournaments, and those are the big tournaments. Um, and actually, there's there's I think there's always two types of open tournaments. There's the, the ones that qualify as open, so they give you more points, uh, and, and there's a lot more people. And then there's the, the super mega open tournaments, which are still classified as open tournaments. Those are like the, the Novas and the LVO and, and ATC. <clears throat> but we're here to talk about open tournaments, two big tournaments respectively, and a convention. 
Um, so uh, the reason why we like to talk about these tournaments for a refresher for you guys is this is the, they sh- represent the way the meta is is happening in a specific region. And you'll actually see this because these are two similar sized tournaments that we're going to talk about. And two people who attended these tournaments, we have one person who ran the tournament, uh, and you guys are going to see kind of how how metas are very different depending on your region. And, and this is something I expected going into covering both of these events because I know both both the players bases in both regions so I kind of already knew what to expect and knew what names would hit the top and what names to see um but you guys can kind of get a peek of that too and hopefully we got some good stuff for you guys yeah do we want to start on yeah let's talk about the flying monkey con so that's the right place to go before before we go on to the tournament bam bam tell us about it I wish I could have gone, brother. I wish you could have been there too. I uh, we were we were pretty ecstatic about how it turned out. We really, you know, we, Matt was our Matt Neely was our head judge, and he was he was pretty busy. It was probably the busiest I've seen a judge at a forty k tournament in a little bit. But uh, you know, some highly contested games. Uh, the meta across the tournament was pretty interesting. There was a lot of diverse lists. Uh, there was a lot of different kinds of lists, and it was the first tournament I saw where. You know, Knights kind of had a show of force. You know, I, I went to the Midwest uh, Midwest Conquest last month, and, you know, there was like one Knight Army. And to walk around and see, you know, Knights on a lot of different tables, and, you know, and then two of the Warhogs brought pretty much, you know, close to mirror match list, and uh, including Knights in them, and did pretty well with them. So it's interesting to see that meta change, and some lists were unprepared, some lists were prepared, and uh, I, I don't think we're all the way settled yet, so... That's uh that's what I'm kind of excited to see how it pans out and how it goes. Uh, yeah, how did you guys decide? Oh, go ahead, Sean. Uh, I was just gonna say we're we're seeing a big shift back towards the the super heavies and big targets like that with knights starting to come back. Yeah, uh, for a long time you were not seeing very many big targets because the popular opinion was just they die too easy. Uh, but imperial knights kind of are putting a lot of the lie to that. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think you're starting to see a meta shift, and this is actually uh, we'll we'll talk about this at, towards the end after we we cover the tournaments because there's definitely a meta shift going on right now that the top players and the top teams are all noticing. Uh, but so let's talk about the Flying Monkey Con Morse. Did you guys adopt the FAQ that GW dropped? Because it was they dropped it I think a week before the event, right? So there was no real notice. Uh, so did you guys use it or did you guys cut it off and the night players? Are you talking about the night FAQ? Yes. I think they put it out like a Friday right before the tournament, so we didn't take oh, it. Oh, so no. So you guys didn't yeah. use it. Yeah. We, uh, the, night, day. <laughs> the night book dropped on the day of our cutoff. So we had a lot of guys that were having, with night armies, that were pretty ecstatic because they were able to do it. But the night, you know, because <laughs> it dropped that day at the cutoff. So we're like, okay, night armies are in. And so, you know, the, the thing for me is like I, I was hoping that we'd be able to see like, you know, how it was really going to be. But without the FAQ in in place, you know, the guys weren't getting the extra CPs. Um, you know, there was no renegades of any kind. Because you know, knights weren't a, right. Yeah. And no no Forge World because they gave him the keyword. Uh, so I kind of feel like we had like, a, I guess, kind of a muted night experience. It wasn't a full on uh, what it's going to be. So it's uh, I don't think we really figured out any meta of any sorts because of that. But it was still interesting to see what was brought. All right. Uh, well, I, I'm going to respectfully disagree, Bam, okay. and I'll take you. I'll take you to the Gladiator Arena for that because I do feel it. like <laughs> I'll feel, I feel like we actually saw 
uh, our first real taste of what the meta is going to be for the future. I don't, I don't know if the Knight Codex or the Knight FAQ add will add more to these lists other than just more, which which they're already like. If Trent Northington, congratulations by the way, Trent. Um, if you're still hungover and listening to this podcast, um, <laughs> I'll I'll talk a little quieter. But uh, basically, I feel like like Trent's list is already set. It's a good list, and the Knight FAQ is just going to add to that. So I I feel like we're just going to see a little bit more, but. Yeah. I think the, we talk about it now. Like you the, guys, it'll help you guys. It'll. It's not like the meta's going to change next week or the next big tournament. The big problem I saw for the guys that ran nights was a lot of them were starved for CPs. Uh, yeah. Where where Trent and his list had a solution for that. You know, he did the uh, the Astro Militarum slash Blood Angels uh, CP farming. So he had two shots at getting CPs back. Uh, where some other players that ran, you know, really night heavy without that extra farming ability. You know, they were running out of CPs come turn three and. Uh, and just, you know, having a, a struggling time doing things that other guys like Trent were doing because, you know, Trent had no problem with CPs when he's playing. So that's uh, that's one thing I do think the FAQ is going to change a little bit because, you know, you can get the, the 6 CP or the, the 3 P, three I can't talk, the 3 CPs for having, you know, the Armager style Knights filling out a Lord of War detachment. So, uh, that's true. And, and so that was a big thing I guess I was referring to, but... uh no, there was some effective use of them. You know, it was uh, that Dominus class knight is is something to be dealt with. Uh, it's it's you know either version of it is 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 formidable, and if you're using them right, you know you can dominate a table. Did you see very many of the as um, the valiant the the harpoon and flamer one? I only saw one at Boise Cup. I'm curious if you guys ha- saw people having more success with them. Yeah, the the guys that had them were on the the middle tables. You know, it wasn't okay. uh, it wasn't the guys at the top, and and I think everybody had gotten so set on the uh, you know the the flamer one that nobody really took a look mm-hmm. at the other one, and and then here comes yeah. Trent and another Warhog with it, and and all of a sudden people found a respect for it. I was gonna say uh, the I've had the opposite experiences. Everyone is all over that uh, Gallant or not Gallant um, Castellan. Castellan, thank you. Yeah, uh, that is, you know, that plasma and volcano cannon just shreds stuff. It does. It's nasty. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting to see where the meta is going to go now um, after that, especially with the Castellan, right? Because because characters all of a sudden, you know, a lot of the smaller characters like the commanders, the primary psychers, uh, key key. I, I can't. The Eldar warlocks are dirty. Mm-hmm. I hate those models. <laughs> but um. <laughs> But a, a, a lot of those priests um, for guard models, a lot of those little lynchment characters, uh, you're not going to be able to rely on them. So you're going to have to take more. You're going to have to take them out of your list um, unless they're just going to start to suffer just efficiency-wise. Um, so, Shieldbreaker missiles are serious, man. They So good. Yeah. It's, yeah. As, it's not reliably going to kill a character, but it's going to kill a character more often than your opponent likes. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine uh, you, the force. The other thing too is if you take the four shield breakers missiles configuration mm-hmm. instead of the the four siege cannon configuration, your knight's actually cheaper anyways, right? And I feel like four yeah. shield breaker missiles is enough to kill one good character. Um, not maybe not like a Gilliman or even a Custodes jet bike captain. No, but um, those those pain in the butt psychers running around with four or five wounds will go away pretty. They're quick. definitely dead. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 You'll be able to kill Any- one or two of them every game. Any anything with four wounds is in pretty significant danger. Guys with five or six wounds are 
not safe, but they're probably not just going to bite it instantly. Well, and traditionally, yes. what guys have done is they, you know, the first line is the first floor line of sight blocking. You know, guys are able to run those guys inside of a building and hide them out. And you know, the night player can simply just send a spend a CP point and 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 not have to have line of sight. So, you know, it's there's no hiding from it. It's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty That's lethal. A big thing. Now, the yeah, only and, and a lot of lists. Has- yeah, the only faction that has any protection at all is Tau, because they can pass it off to a drone still. Anyone else is kind of just desperately hoping that you miss with it or fail to wound. Yeah, and a lot of the main, a lot of the, the top lists right now usually rely on one or two characters to put pressure on your opponent. Uh, I know yeah. that's how my list works. Um, you, you hide your cool, your Lilith or your, your cool Succubus or your, you know, Blood Angels captain or whatever behind Chaff. Uh, or in a building, um, and then next turn they're in danger of wiping out a unit, getting a bonus point for playing ITC missions or, or whatever have you. Uh, then mm-hmm. I can just put put a stop to that. Even if he puts, even if he doesn't kill the character and brings the character down to one or two wounds, all of a sudden your character has to start eating things like Overwatch. You know, maybe yeah. a random smite or two, uh, an interrupt from like a small unit like Rangers or Scouts. There's just right. characters lose wounds over the course of the game anyways it just it naturally happens organically yeah um, so i think it's really good i think those shield breakers are going to put a little bit of dampener on the the kind of rampant dawn eagle jet bikes and smash captains that we've been seeing around because yeah. all of a sudden those five wound smash captains are in very real danger of just vanishing instantly and well and, and hypothetically say, you know, no go ahead i I didn't mean to talk over you, Sean. I'm sorry. No, but That's even cool. hypothetically, you know, one shield shieldbreaker missile with a with a really good D six six roll, and that guy's toast. You know, yep. he's just gone right away, and, and ignore and invul. So you can you can give it a uh, you know you can give the storm shield all you want, but if it's ignored and vulnerable, you know you're, you're getting it. So yeah, and even if you don't kill him outright, like Pablo says, just putting him down on one or two wounds means that all of a sudden charging is a really dicey prospect. You cannot rely that, like, oh, his bolters won't do any damage to me. There's no way. Yeah, and and if you're worried about Knight Castellans and you have characters in your list, um, I do what I did this weekend. Basically, as I was playing my games, I just imagined my opponent having a shield breaker missile somewhere in their army. Didn't didn't really matter. Didn't didn't think about it too much. But I just imagined like one of my characters just dying right now. Like, oh, what you know? Like, if uh, there was actually a perfect example on Sunday, I played my my priest hung out in the back and took four up invulns off rangers um, from an Eldar player, and he just he's just chilling in forest on an objective, basically winning me the game, moving back and forth to get me recon um, between the segments. So he was just he was just a baller, and I just imagined like if my opponent had a knight Castellan right now, that priest would be dead, and I would be down like five points. And right. it, he could do it turn turn two when the priest actually started doing his job, um, and any mm-hmm. character can do that. Like if uh, if my Mephiston wouldn't have been able to get a lucky charge off and and kill like twenty million units because that's what Mephiston does. Um, <laughs> you could have just shot a shield breaker missile at him. All of a sudden, he's much easier to kill, or he flat out dies. Like it's just if if you if there are characters in your army that if you just imagine them taking a shield breaker missile right now and instead of being safe and cozy where characters normally are, um, and that hurts you and stops you from winning the game, then you should probably rethink your list. Uh, which I, or, I, th- I think is very serious. Or at least the serious. way you play your list. Well, uh, there's not much counterplay list... to it, right? Well, but it's... You, you can do things like, you know, if you have that one character sitting back on an objective dancing around, 
put another character back there. Put another unit back there. You have to commit a little harder, but you can still do it. Yeah, but I think something doesn't need, that doesn't need line of sight, you know. And, and if you're if a savvy guy and you're thinking about your target priority, you're going to go after that key character. You know, a lot of guys that were running the Yanari style stuff, uh, yeah. those lists are going to kind of be a thing of the past if they run into that. To be honest, it's uh, that you know the character giving the buffs or the thing that's doing the most pain in the ass stuff to you is going to be the one you go after first if if you know what you're doing and playing the game. Yeah, that's the 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 Castellan is no doubt a very like legit game changer just because it means you can't rely on having your characters do whatever they want all game long. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good. I mean honest, honestly, like Oh no, I I appreciate it. It's yeah. characters are out of control right now. Well, the the thing I did like that I saw, you know, I saw a couple lists that, you know, knights can get bad matchups. You know, I I saw one night yeah. army guy Broad Knight Army, and he ran against the uh, the Harlequin uh, Dark Eldar, you know, and they brought a lot of the Harlequin mm-hmm. bikes with the the Haywire, and uh, that Haywire did some some work against some knights. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, the the thing I saw that happened a couple times was, you know, everybody's been so used to these uh, these flood the table board control MSU uh, type list with a lot of infantry. And some of those lists were running into these night players, and and guys have just been so used to not putting a lot of anti tank or, or heavy gun in their stuff. And I walked by one game and just kind of asked how it was going, and the guy said I didn't bring anything to deal with this, you know. And so mm-hmm. I think guys are going to have to have that consideration when they're list building now that you know they they have to think like you know what about that big super heavy that's going to wind up on the board at some point because I'm going to wind up matched against that at some point in the GT if it's big enough. Yeah. And yeah. And not just a super heavy, but think about what that super heavy with a four up or a three up invuln is going to be like to take down. <laughs> that That's can a heal itself. Yeah, yeah. You've got you've got a big problem right there, and I think you're absolutely right uh, that armies are going to have to shift to be ready to deal with these heavier targets again. And I, I might be mistaken, but I think Trent ran his with the one that gave it like the the six up fill no pain. So. On top of the uh, on top of the rotating the ion shields and getting the low invuln, you know you can you can get the fill no pain and then you can spend the CPs that you know if you're CP heavy from farming, you know to just heal it here and there. So it's uh, they're hard to get off the board. They're harder than people think. I thought. Yeah, oh, they're, yeah, they're a pain. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, so so here's here's the other thing where I stand with the knight, and then then we can talk about because we have to talk about the top five too. So there are other players. There are other players who played didn't play nightless, um, you know, prior to what we've been talking about. But uh, the a knight uh, are people. Knights are very easy to kill. They, they are. If you if you bring dedicated firepower to kill knights, you will kill one knight pretty pretty easily, or at least at least effectively neuter it enough so that it's it's not that bad. Um, it's actually not hard to do. Whereas opposed to it's a lot harder to take things that kill characters, for instance, because characters have that natural defense. Um, and the Knight Castellan isn't that much tougher than like the Forge World Knights. I think Knight Castellan is twenty-seven wounds, which I think is what twenty-eight. Yeah, which is a Serastus Knight, which is the Forge World Serastus Knights, and those knights come with like four up invulns and two d six advances, and um, they're they're generally a little bit they're Forge World, they're they're random actually, because um, that's <laughs> what Forge World is. But yeah. <laughs> uh, my point is is that I played with those knights, and those knights I found. To, they die. They die all the time. It happens. Um, the Castellan's real advantage is that you can back it up with some guard and butt angels and keep it kind of nice and protected. 
Um, but its disadvantage is that it's probably the most expensive giant super heavy thing right now that people meta thing that people are going to be bringing and a cheaper unit that can still delete it like a shadow sword um it still exists shadow swords exist uh characters can kill the castellan pretty easily you can also ignore it still like it's really good but it's not it's not this thing that you can that you can just like that you have to deal with or you'll lose you know you can ignore it still it's still prone to bad dice it's well, it's not perfect yeah right. and the the castellan especially because it's has a comparatively low number of shots i mean it's, yes. it's still actually quite a few shots but for how many points it is you're getting a comparatively low number of shots it does struggle to deal with hordes a bit on its own yeah and i believe it's got a it's got a four up weapon skill doesn't it yes yeah, uh, yeah. So, it's, so so it's not hitting it's that terribly. great it's, yeah nope so it can't do the uh, the happy feet on stuff as easily as the other knights. It's, I mean, you're still killing like five to six infantry models a turn with it. Um, that's that's no slouch in close combat, but it's not like the other knights that'll just like dance all over. You know, if the difference between that thing and a gallant is absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah. yeah. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about these uh, these other five and one players. So there's six rounds at the Flying Monkey 40k GT. Um, and there were seven players who finished five and one or better. Uh, and these guys are the champions. Because playing six rounds and only losing one game is hard. Very, very it hard. Is. Uh, so, um, I want to talk about Alex Kuhn and his Ally Talk list from the Flying Monkeys. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Um, why didn't you tell me that, that this guy's list was the thing? It was around. Ah, he's, this is funny. He's one of my homeboys. I'm not going to let the secrets out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, if I can, if I can ask a, a little question here i'm a little bit curious because pablo you you may have forgotten but um uh alex won or not either won or placed top five in a tournament uh like a month ago as well midwest conquest yeah so uh, and i probably talked about it yeah. with the same um, list. well and i pointed <laughs> Go ahead. I know where this is going. I, I Go pointed ahead. out, yeah, I pointed out at the time he was running literally exactly the same list, down to the upgrade, down to the model, down to the psychic powers that I was running uh, for a tournament at the same time. And <laughs> I, I don't think he copied me. I think we just sort of happened onto the same list because no, there's not Alex, any way Alex will change. say he completely stole that list. So really, he, yeah. Okay. I'm, I, I guess I'm a little flattered then. I assumed that he had just stumbled onto the same set of upgrades as like, well, I need to cut seven points here and there's nowhere else to do it. Yeah, well, we, we have a team and what we do is we have a group chat as a team and, uh-huh. you know, most of us when we should be working and earning dollars for somebody else, we spend it talking 40k and, you know, from... That's good policy. He, it, yeah, it is. And he was he was on that list a few months ago. You know, we were back and forth about it and he looked at it, thought it looked really good and we were math and things and back and forth, back and forth. And, and he was like, screw it. I'm just going to go for it. And, uh, he <laughs> went for, he built that list probably like a week or two weeks before Midwest conquest. Oh, and then, okay. uh, and then showed up in place like he did. He didn't get a whole lot of reps with it, but you know, he's pretty smart. He's, uh, he's really, I, I guess brainy as far as 40 K is concerned. And, you know, and, and it did so well at Midwest Conquest. I think he thought it would do even better under ITC Champs. So he just chose to just run it again whenever the monkey came around. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about this list for the folks that don't have the BCP app. Which, by the way, if you want to follow along, get a player subscription with the BCP player app. The Best Coast Pairings player app uh, makes looking at lists so much easier. And you can look at all the lists that we won't talk about 
Because every week someone always emails me or puts a comment somewhere saying that, Pablo, you didn't talk about so-and-so's crazy space wolf orc combo list or whatever. <laughs> and and that's a shame because he, he went four and two and beat you know the, the player who made the top eight at the ITC five years ago or something. I don't know. It's always some variance of that. Um, so my response to you, sir or madam, uh, is <laughs> go to the Best Coast Playings Player app. Sign up for a subscription. It's just five dollars a month. That is that yeah. is nothing. That is... It's I, I gotta say, you know, I'm not like a sponsored buy or anything fancy like that. But it's it really is an invaluable tool if you're looking to approach the meta and uh, kind of get a better feel for what sort of armies are playing because it gives I... you the option to search for different events. Yeah. Uh, you can look through all these lists. Most players upload their lists. Some. Naughty folks do not these days, but most posts well, do. I think I think some people have the stigma that they're going to give away all the secrets if they do so. Which you know, if you're running it, somebody else is out there anyways. I don't think you should be too protective. And but, yeah, and honestly, <laughs> people are going to find out about your list if it's any good, anyways. Yeah, well, it, you know, good. it's like I told a guy the other day where he was talking about it when when BCP first came on the scene. I wasn't that big of a fan, but the mm-hmm. I, I think if someone is serious about you know hitting tournaments, hitting the GT scene. You know, part of that is is research, seeing what's out there, adjusting your list to the meta. You know, we blow Absolutely. five bucks at Starbucks on a coffee. You know, just just skip that extra coffee and just subscribe to the app. And and I'm not paid don't either. Buy, I just like it. <laughs> don't buy that one bit that you were thinking of putting into a conversion, and now you have a BCP for a month. It's absolutely <laughs> worth it. I guarantee you that as soon as you start using it, you will find it to be incredibly helpful. Right on. <laughs> and so welcome so, back to the, the people yeah. who went on the BCP app and looked at Alex Kuhn's list already. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, for those of you who aren't who haven't looked at it yet, I apologize for the wait, but hashtag sorry, not sorry. Uh, let's talk about his list. So he's got three wave serpents, which, which by the way, wave serpents are, are dumb. I, every Eldar player mm-hmm. I meet who who's asking me, like, well, how do I make my list better? I'm like, probably use yeah. like one or two wave serpents. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I think the trick is use a wave serpent to protect something important uh, because that's what wave serpents do. They stay alive forever. Yeah, they're they're so but they're so good. They're so much better than that. Like they, um, well, because well, maybe and it, I guess it depends on the matchup, right? But but in general, a wave serpent is harder to kill for most things. Like like for example, Celestine, oh. perfect example. You sell. I'm gonna use Celestine because because I play her and I know I really want to explain this really well. Uh, a, a a model like Celestine can can just wreak havoc on an unprepared army, especially if you don't have counter charge elements or if I tie up and kill your counter charge elements. Uh, but a wave serpent is fast enough to keep up with Celestine and then charge her. And Celestine can't kill a wave serpent in close combat. It's going to take forever for Celestine to kill that wave serpent. Ooh, no, it wounding won't. on fours, hitting on twos, wounding on fours, one damage. No, the wave serpent shield only applies against shooting attacks. Okay, well, hitting on hitting on twos, wounding on fours, two damage. Yeah, she'll, she'll with cut the six it up, feel no pain. Close, right? The spirit stone still works, so you still get the six up, feel yes, no pain. Yes, it does. Ah, so I know I know that much, um, but the most important thing is it's, it's going to take two or three turns for Celestine to kill it. Still, I, sure. I know I, I have experience with Celestine. She does. She's not as she's not as awesome close combat as I wish she was, um, especially when she rolls ones. You know, she suffers from the Terminator syndrome. But that Wave Serpent is charging Celestine, being annoying, but because it's it's not a unit that she wants to kill, uh, and mm. because you charge Celestine, she can't leave combat and charge something else. So her big gimmick is gone. 
right? And it works with any. It works with eating Overwatch. It's just a little Swiss yeah. Army knife of a, a fast, durable unit. You can use it to grab objectives. Pablo, you um, don't you don't have to preach to me about how good wave yeah. oh, I'm ex- are. I'm explaining. I ran I'm explaining. This list. I'm, pre- I'm soapboxing <laughs> to the to the the many the unseen masses. Um, that are floating around in the room with me right now. Well, I mean, if, if you run at Alatoc, there's a potential negative two to hit the sucker. You know, it's That's just, true. They're, they're, yeah. I think they're, for what they do, they're one of the most efficient units in the game. Well, yeah. Do we, do, I mean, do we want to, like, give people his list here or? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Got- okay. So, yeah, because <laughs> we, we keep dancing around the subject. So, <laughs> so we got he's the three actually running. Go, go ahead, Sean. I'll let you explain it. Yeah. He's, you- he, he's actually running pure Litoc. Uh, which is a little bit surprising. You don't see that all that often. Um, he has the Battalion, which is pretty basic. Farseer on foot, Autark on a bike with Laser Lance and Shuriken Catapults, uh, but doesn't get the Fusion Gun or any of that because he doesn't have points. And then two units of Guardians, one of Dire Avengers, three Wave Serpents with all cannons and the Vectored Engines, and then three each of Crimson Hunter Exarchs with Star Cannons and Hemlock Wraith Fighters. Which, that's a lot of tanks to deal with. That is so much armor. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, all minus two to hit. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. That's, and that's he doesn't have And then if he close a gap, you get Flamer to death, so. Yeah, you, it's, I mean, the, the Hemlocks can flame out most things, the Crimson Hunters can just dance around and do stuff, it has a lot of really strong movement blocking tricks, uh, because six flyer bases will stop most anything from charging if you want it to, um, short of another unit with fly, uh, which don't really want to be charging those Hemlocks, because they'll probably die in Overwatch, um, it, it'll, it'll stop most things dead in their tracks. Yeah, I actually never thought about that, but you're right. Six oh, yeah. flying bases that is... covers a lot of space, and if you don't have fly stuff, mm-hmm. that you can't, you won't be able to move through anything. The movement blocking is a huge part of how that army will tend to work. Um, when I used it at the the GT, I boxed an entire orc army in on turn one, and just <laughs> no, you know, I got no. first turn. I just locked him in his deployment zone. I was like, you don't get to move this turn. You're not Does going that, anywhere. They can't shoot them either, right? Not really. Are they, are, are they hitting on sixes? Well, if at, beyond twelve, do they? Does that mean they just can't hit you? Yep, they just straight miss. Yeah, and and you know, Astro Militarum really struggles against that kind of a list, you know, because they're hit on fours anyways. And so, you know, all your big guns that you used to relying on your big volume of fire, it's like you're you're pretty much hitting everything on Overwatch. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's even on your shooting phase, it's like you're firing Overwatch. So it's uh, yeah. It's really effective against them. The the you know the four up ballistic steel style style armies. So yeah, Tau and Guard absolutely loathe that army. Yeah, they struggle against just, it. Yeah, it's almost impossible for them to touch because not only are they hitting you on sixes with most of their stuff, you can always pop your stratagem to just make them completely miss a unit. So you got that hemlock down to one wound. Well, that's fine. You'll just pop the stratagem. It's minus three to hit, and nothing they have can touch it. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know so for the people that the HQ. Tro- Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, ben. No, and as I say, for the people that think they're gonna, you know, manipulate the boots on the ground, and well, I'm just gonna go over <laughs> the stuff on the ground. You know, it's it's near impossible, like what Sean talked about with the, yeah. you know, that much space being covered by those flyers. It's hard to get at the stuff that's on the ground, you know, without getting flamed off the board, shot off the board. So if someone's playing it in the right way, you know, you can box stuff in really easy and keep the stuff on the ground on the ground. I've never seen Alex yeah. play that and even come close to losing all the stuff on the ground. So No, yeah. I I didn't lose more than one wave serpent in any game that I ran it. Uh, right. It's 
killing three wave serpents and two characters is all but impossible. Yeah, so speaking of boots on the ground, let's talk about his character compilation. Um, I do have one question for you, Sean. Yeah. Who is Akiriel? Oh, uh, the shimmer plume of Akilriel. Um, a character they made up for that relic, as far as I know. Man, he made okay. that sound so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so let's talk. So he has a farseer, pretty self-explanatory. Yep. Uh, an Autark Skyrunner with a billion things. Oh, uh, oh, okay. It's, the, I'm the sorry. The big thing is the laser lance, the banshee mask, and an Avenger shuriken catapult. Okay, a Kirill is not a uh, so so. For those of you who don't know, I was oh, reading Kirill as a character, so I no. saw the Autark Skyrunner and all of his stuff, and I was like, oh, that's one character, and then a Kirill—that's another character. What does no, he that's do? just no, finishing just... out the Skyrunner's intense equipment loadout. Yeah, huge. So it's just got a Farseer and an Autark Skyrunner. That makes much more sense. Yeah. Okay, I thought there was some hidden tech there. Okay, well. Alex, that's a that's a nasty list, and um, you've been doing really well with it so far. So yeah. He calls that list cancer. <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty bad. Uh, all right, so let's talk about this Dark Eldar list. Because um, yeah. it, it's the the normal flavor of Dark Eldar list that you expect, um, except it's, it's actually, it's more of a pure, it's kind of an Eldari list. It's not really like a pure Dark Eldar list at all. He's got all three Eldar factions in it. Um, mm-hmm. Because yeah, uh, and he I, has the the basic Dark Eldar detachment with the the disintegrator ravagers, the venoms full of troops with blasters, the rid of the living muse, all that nonsense, and access to a uh, vect, I believe. Yeah, Cabal yep. the Black Heart. Yep. Uh, but then he has another battalion of uh, a Lytok with the Farseer and the the bike, and then a Warlock on a bike which I think is something you'll see a little bit more often now that Warlock prices have come up on the foot guys. The bike guy looks a lot more attractive when he gets that third wound and everything. Uh, and then just three units of rangers, basically a real, a really basic detachment to get access to some psychic powers and scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, one, the part that I found the most interesting was the Harlequin's half of it, or third of it, or whatever it is. Because uh, he's got a Shadow Seer... And then three units of four Skyweavers, the yeah. the two man bikes. Haywire is a thing. Haywire, yeah, all, haywire all those guys. He he split them with Zephyr Glaives on half, and Starbull was on the other. Which I'm a little curious if there was a reason for that, or if it was just a models issue. Do you do you know anything, Brian? I don't. Most of the games I walked by, uh, that guy was done. <laughs> so he, yeah, well, he, it was like uh, he was packing it up, and and the person across the board was going, "Man, Haywire," and I was like, "Okay, makes sense." Yeah. So people people don't quite realize how good Haywire is, especially if you're putting Doom on the target as well. Yep. Because uh, those Haywire <laughs> guns are causing mortal wounds on fours. Sixes are D three mortal wounds, and if you're rerolling all your failed wounds, then you know, D6 shots like that is is shredding a vehicle pretty fast. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, what are their range, do you know? 24 on the Haywire. That's good enough. But I mean, it's, it's on a spike, so... Yeah, it's on well, a Well, and those things ignore terrain and just move where they want to anyways, so... Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, on top of everything else, um, those, those bikes, you know, it's D6 Haywire shots, but it's strength 4 AP1 against infantry, which, you know, that'll do some damage. It's D6 shots, strength 4 AP1? Yeah. So, so you're shooting, like, 46 shots at infantry, 
Strength mm-hmm. four AP one. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's like Primaris aggressors, but without the AP, with the AP. So yeah. they're they're a bit of a Swiss Army knife when you think about it. You know, they can go after vehicles, yeah. they can go after troops. Uh, they they're they're multi use. They're not just singular in their purpose. And they're no slouch yeah. in assault either because they got like yeah. five Strength four attacks each. All right, uh, we'll skip past Troy Graber because he didn't put his list in. Troy, how Shame. dare you? <laughs> and and he and he's a TO. Troy's a, a community leader. Not anymore. Uh, He'll be demoted. <laughs> just, just messing with you, Troy. Troy's a nice guy. Um, I right, think Troy was about... just happy to play in this one. This is the first one he got to play in, so it was a <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was yeah. a bit of a, a celebratory <laughs> event for him. So he was so excited. That's why he forgot. He just forgot to update his list. Yeah, upload it. That's how excited he was. So let's talk about this um, billion Nurgling based list. Yeah, Joe's um, list that... is interesting. Yeah, I think so, there's so going to be Joe... some people who are real angry that there's someone who is being allowed to succeed with greater demons in their army. <laughs> Does he have a greater yeah, weren't there, like, there was like oh, three greater Rodigus. demons, wasn't there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, he's, because he's got, uh, not just Rodigus, the named gr- unclean one, but a regular unclean one also. He's got two Yeah, there were three of them, if I remember. Oh, two, it. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so for, uh, Joe, Joe Kulas, um, for those of you aspiring, uh, demon players that, that don't want to ally chaos space marines and demon princes here you go so he's got uh let me just count them out five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen like 14 nurgling units yeah 14 so, units of three nurglings it looks 14, like 14 units of three nurglings so so you know 40 42 nurgling bases mm-hmm. already already pretty solid that's a that's a lot of wounds to chew through for those of you who are doing math, that's that's a lot. Just trust trust us. <laughs> um, too many. That's how many. Too it many. Is. Um, uh, and then he's got, like you guys said, he's got the the three greater and clean ones, um, Rodigus and the two. Uh, Rodigus is good, um, but honestly, the three greater and clean ones they're just hard to kill. They're just, I imagine they do all do perform similar wo- roles. Uh, and then he's got a sloppy biopapper because you mm-hmm. have to have that because that's and a mortarian. I, I, yeah, mortarian. Can't forget mortarian. Interesting, like. He's got a lot of really big dudes in there. And a lot of Nurglings, it, which is a yeah. really funny themed list. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like you should have a one greater and clean one that's just a bunch of Nurglings piled <laughs> on to look like a greater and clean one. You've got, like, <laughs> 20 Nurglings holding a giant sword. The, you know, The like lesser pretend. unclean one, if you will. <laughs> giant mass of, of Nurglings. Um, but mm-hmm. th- that list, um, so I don't know much about this. Other than I, I would assume that that he's he has a ton of board control because Nurglings can just go all over the place. So he, so his greater and clean ones probably be very hard to to tar pit them because there's also four big characters too. Um, I am pretty sure that smiting. that list got streamed at some point in time. So uh, oh, I know okay. Iron Halo. Oh. That Jason Horn was there streaming, and I'm pretty sure the games got put up on YouTube today. So that list was actually on YouTube and the the Twitch stream. So if someone wants to see how that worked, I think they can go watch the game. I believe he played the Tau list. That was up okay. there. Well, that poor Tau player. Yeah, well, I saw that Tiger right. Shark uh, pretty much eat up Mortarian on a turn, though. So Yeah. Uh, if we want to hit that Tau list, it's it's an interesting twist on the some of the other lists that Richard has been running. Uh, All right. Pretty standard Tau stuff, all things considered, but still interesting. All right, so he has a uh, uh, Cadre Fireblade, a Cold Star Commander, three strike teams, uh, mm-hmm. two Riptides, stealth suits, tactical drones, one shark, Tiger Shark, not two, um, yeah. and then another battalion with uh, Tau Battalion with Cadre Fireblade, another Cold Star Commander, and more strike teams. 
and that and is ethereal. It. Oh, and the ethereal, yeah, it's important. Yeah, he's ethereal. he's running the you know two pretty similar looking battalions, but uh, you know a pair of riptides replacing one of the tiger sharks from the earlier versions is what I what it looks like. Uh, which I'm kind of I'm curious how well that worked out for him, but obviously relatively well because he went five and one. Yeah, that tiger shark. I think I only saw it off the board once. It seemed to hang out and stay and and continue to do damage. So, and my, I believe those things biggest... are. Uh, I believe they are two up ballistic skills. So, but they don't get the they ability are. to move and fire the heavy weapons. So he's hitting stuff on threes, but it's a it's a high volume of shots, and it was just decimating things. Yeah, yeah. And, a tiger shark puts down like close to forty shots, strength five and higher. Yeah, uh, yeah. And no, uh, Anthony Belm has been doing well with his double tiger sharks. Um, I think yeah. he, the Dallas Open, he, he was I think in the top five. Um, yep. And then, yep. So, so tiger sharks. I guess those are the new Tau meta. They're good. Uh, T eight, sixteen wounds, three up armor, five up invulnerable. They're no. They're they're not easy to bring down. Although I do worry, kind of like looking at it, that in a a meta that's moving towards knights and shadow swords and whatnot, you're going to see a lot more heavy guns out there to point at them. And the tiger shark doesn't do that well at killing a knight right back, right? Um, it's what's the strength on its its crazy gun? It's not really. It doesn't have any one big gun. Um, it's got a a pair of heavy burst cannons, so twelve shots, strength six, damage two apiece. Mm-hmm. Um, it can mount six seeker missiles. It's got mm-hmm. some other like two d six more, strength six, damage two shots. A bunch of other stuff. It's it's not a a thing that carries one big gun. It carries like twelve little guns. And, and does it benefit from the plus one to wound that Tau get that you can give? Tau? If if you make it Tau Sept, although typically I have seen players uh, bringing them as, or I suppose uh, some players have been bringing them as uh, Farsight Sept, uh, because you, it's pretty easy for a flyer to get within six inches of something to get that reroll ones to wound. Okay. Alright, yeah, it's a very, very interesting um, seeing Tiger Sharks and Imperial Knights as the meta. Um, and then as we'll talk about the Boise Cup, uh, Shadow Swords. Yeah. Well, and I think that yeah. list in particular, though, between the tire shark and the two riptides, you know that that's mm-hmm. just tough to deal with. You know, riptides are, are yeah. durable, and, and it, you surround them with enough drones, they're they're next to impossible to get at most instances. So, yeah, it's it's going to be very hard to hurt those riptides in the first one or two turns unless you have indirect fire guns to get to the drones because he's going to hide the drones in like a building or something and then the riptide stands next to the building and now it has you know eight more bonus wounds hanging off to the side yeah save your protocol yep it's a great rule as long as you don't roll like garbage which we'll talk about in a little bit here uh but riptides are great they struggle a little bit with anything on minus one to hit but you know that bucket of shots will tear up custodies and stuff like that yeah Yeah. all right so we talked about the list um we i I, it wasn't as diverse as uh as i'd like to see there were no there were no um orc players unfortunately yeah there wasn't an orc (laughs) orless orcless there at all so that's Um, weird yeah, you know, I mean, until orcs get a codex, I feel like at this point, you know, the codex creep is very real. Um, if you, if you look at like the Grey Knights, Space Marines, and Chaos Space Marines, especially Chaos Space Marines, they're they've really fallen from grace. Even though I still stand that the codex is a really good codex. 
I don't um, know. I think you're still seeing a decent number of Chaos Space Marines out there. Maybe not always, you know, not pure armies, but certainly right, right, mixed right. in with other Chaos. You mean, you mean yeah. Codex uh, Chaos Cultist? Is that what we're yeah, talking Codex about? Codex Cultist, yeah. <laughs> Chaos Cultists, Obliterators, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they got some stuff at least. Well, well, here's the trend I've seen, and, and maybe you guys can shed more light on this, but but as I've seen more tournaments, I've seen the trend be going towards um, lists with with uh, Death Guard or Thousand Sons, because because they, they still especially Thousand Sons with the Demon Princes, because um, mm-hmm. you can still get most of the good stuff that you want uh, out of those lists for Chaos Space Marines and then Demons. Like I feel like that's the trending Chaos Army now. Um, less cultists and Poxwalkers and uh, cool little lords with crazy abilities. Um, I feel like that's all going Corn Berserkers. I feel like all that's going by the wayside in favor of uh, bodies and. Demon princes. Well, most the most the the Death Guard and the the Nurgle type players. I didn't see Poxwalkers. You know, where where when this first yeah. dropped, there was a ton of Poxwalkers everywhere, and they've kind of they kind of just phased themselves out of those lists. The FAQ changes hurt the Poxwalker armies a lot for sure. Yeah, uh, it it makes them a lot less likely, and so does the presence of agents of Vect in the meta. Like if you can't reliably put off your stratagems on Poxwalkers, then they're just not pulling their weight. Yeah, and that's another thing too. I wonder, I wonder how knights are going to deal with agents' effect, right? Because I feel like Dark Eldar want a knight meta. Dark, Dark Eldar, they're they're very MSUE, so uh, so you know knights are going to have our time dealing with all of the things Dark Eldar bring. Mm-hmm. And a Dark Eldar player can just cancel, you know, rotate ion shields once, and all yeah. of a sudden, like that knight's in deep trouble, you know, and. I mean, what, what are you going to do? And, and knights have a couple other really powerful stratagems as well. Um, there's the one to make a knight stand back up after it dies on a four-up. Uh, right. And then you pop the stratagem to then make that knight act as though it were its top tier of damage. So, and, so you, yeah. the, the, you're right. There's a lot of combinations. Um, but but people, there's a mistake that people are making in that that they're all so limited. For example, the 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 knight the stratagem you're talking about where they pop back up that's mm-hmm. I think House Tyrannus the 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 defensive house um yeah the, the, that's a, sp- a house specific stratagem and then sure. the um top layer of or the use the top table on the degrading table that's a quest star mechanicus so those actually do work together so that's, yeah because they um, are but both there's, mechanicus yeah right right but but then you're not, you then you don't have access to like the the knight being able to swing again or the knight being able to outflank Oh, which sure. Is, which is it, also very important. You you have to pick your house, and that makes a huge difference. That's actually something that I am most curious to see how it pans out, because, like, knights are a big thing. I've seen a lot of discussion about what the best knight house to pick for various kinds of detachments and various kinds of knights are, and I don't think there's a lot of agreement about that yet. So, and I think it actually comes down to personal preference. Um, it just depends mm-hmm. on how you play your knight. If you're more aggressive with your knight... Uh, just in general, the quest or Imperius house, Imperialis houses are just better if you're more aggressive with your knight and you like being in your opponent. And you like having your knight be a melee threat. Um, but even then, it's like, it, what do you, what do you expect your knight to charge? Uh, you know, do you expect them to to actually do work against characters? Um, it's just there's so many there's so many different variables, and I, I actually really like that. I like that you can customize a knight even within one knight detachment where you only have stratagems and you mm-hmm. don't have access to the household traditions and and all that other stuff. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see how much how much, how much variance you can get in things. Yep. All right. So is there is there anything else you want to say bam bam about the flying monkey con 
as a convention, how was it? It was pretty good. We uh, we wound up with uh, we had we had a lot of games going. We had you know the forty k was the was kind of the gem of the tournament. It was the big tournament, and we actually had a uh, Age of Sigmar GT go down. So we at one point in time were knocking close to getting towards the major level of the of the Age of Sigmar, and it just didn't happen. But I think a lot of players were excited to have like a GT level event for Age of Sigmar. You know, here in this region, uh, we had a we had an X Wing tournament that went pretty well. We all had a uh, Kings of War tournament uh, that went off, had a pretty good turnout from uh, three or four different states. And then we had a, a Horse Heresy event that uh, was a narrative event. And uh, the the guy that ran it did a spectacular job. Like, it was just a beautiful event. You know, and, that, and most, of the, uh, most of the Horse Heresy guys are, are hobbyists, so it's pretty cool to see what they bring. But uh, the Horse Heresy event was sold out. The uh, Kings of War event was packed. The Age of Sigmar event was packed. The uh, the X-Wing guys had a hoot. So we were pretty happy to see like all these different games going, you know, on, in the venue. And, and, and just, so it was kind of neat for us, but it was also hectic. So we, uh, we were pulling our hair out in a couple instances. So what kind of total numbers did you guys have for the <clears throat> Man, I am the I am the wrong dude for numbers because I'm a hype guy. So it's oh, okay. But I, I think right. we had we were in the sixties for the we were in the sixties for forty k. Uh, I think high twenties for uh, Age of Sigmar. Uh, I believe we had close to uh, twenty players for X Wing, uh, twenty players for Kings of War, and uh, twenty for uh, uh, Horus Heresy. So. And, so you're, and so you're looking at like close to two hundred total there. It, it was it was up there. It was uh, it was it was over 150 at one point in time. And then we sold, you know, con badges so people could come in and, and browse and hang out and do other things. And we had, you know, like we did a night of Warhammer trivia and we had a pub crawl. So oh, cool. it was, nice. uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was our first time really doing something on that scale and we managed not to screw it up too badly. So All right, when do we sign up for tickets for next year? Oh, we need a week or two. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I'd like to get you out next year, Pablo. You need to come, man. You can stay at my house if you need to 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 get down on expenses and. Heck yeah, I'd love that. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, it's it's oh, for me. It's always a time thing. It's it's less money and more just like like it's just so busy with so much different things. But but I would like I would like to go out to the Flying Monkey Con. Um, like to go out to all of the cons and GTs. Yeah, and if someone really is interested, most of those lists that we talked about wound up on the stream at one point in time. Because uh, Jason had table number one streaming uh, the whole event. And I know Alex uh, Alex kicked off the stream on round one with that uh, Eldari list that we were talking about. And he played, well, actually one of the guys out your way, uh, Ray, um, I'm going to butcher his last name, Ray, Armando. Ray Awumada. Yeah. But uh, he played Alex round one, and uh, that was a pretty fun game to watch. And and me and Jason Horn did commentary on that. So uh, he he told me that the meta was a little bit different here and what he was used to, and we had a good talk about it. And I think Ray had a pretty good time. You know, it was a it was a, it was a thing for him that you know he said that just the different meta between regions was interesting to him. And uh, but but he was game one. Uh, everybody else that we kind of talked about wound up on the stream at some point in time. So if someone really wants to see what was out there and what was going on, you know, just just go hammer through those games. They were really good games to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, the the meta. So to so for some quick commentary on the meta between the regions, because um, you guys are going to we're going to talk about the Boise Cup soon, um, and you guys are going to see how different the metas are. Uh, in general, uh, I feel like the West Coast meta, which which is to say like San Diego you know northern california like we're kind of oregon 
and then like Washington, Boise, Nevada, that West Coast area. I feel like everyone runs their favorite faction, single factions, and and like makes the weird wonky lists work. So like around here, you'll still see like Chaos Space Marine lists, like pure Chaos Space Marine lists with like cultists and stuff, uh, and and like Plague Drones and Plague Toads and really weird, really weird things, um, or like my weird Imperial Soup lists or like Reese's off the wall guard list or Frankie's <laughs> random faction that he feels like running. You know, it's just it's a lot of that. It's consistently everyone everyone's been running the same factions for years since like fourth edition. Well, we uh, had and then on the east. Oh, go, go ahead. Oh, we had a guy that, I, and this is on that thought, that line of thought, which was interesting. Uh, Ryan Revard, if you go look at his list, he ran a couple scorpions, but he ran pure blood angels, and uh, he was four and zero going into round five. And uh, I remember just kind of scratching my head, thinking like, you know, because I went to go look and see, like, you know, okay, he's running some guard, he's running whatever. Nope, dude was running straight blood angels, <laughs> and uh, wound up four and zero. Uh, and you know, he was on the top table. Uh, top tables the the last couple of games and ended up not winning them but you know my i kind of wanted to give him a hat tip because that dude did he showed up with one codex one army and uh played the shit out of it you know and and wound up four and oh and uh he had a couple hard last games but it was neat to see a guy run something singular because he's just a blood angels fan you know the guy's got a big old paint painted picture of blood angels in his house you know that's just his army so nice yeah and and on the east coast so like so like that that's the west coast but i feel like on the east coast it's the exact opposite like i i feel like and this isn't i'm not talking about you because you guys are a whole nother the midwest um middle of the u.s midwest yeah we're the flyover area. folks the flyover folks um <laughs> because you guys are another you guys are another different because they're a whole nother different meta um but the east coasters like the nick Nonavati, alex fennel nick rose nova you know th- those guys those guys run all these like crazy almost etc style like hyper competitive lists that with in weird combinations you don't expect so like i feel like that's i feel like they're like the the premier top top uh trending you know uh cutting edge lists and then um as you go more towards like the the flyover states i feel like you found a lot of like guard players it's probably because you guys are all a bunch of you know white white guys who uh who like your your guard lists and you know your uh beer your budweiser and i don't know i'm, I'm stereotyping very much absolutely so. but you're you're not too far off so <laughs> um with your with your kansas accents but um but uh wait we have accents yeah we all have i have an accent too my accent um i when i'm not speaking on the podcast uh, i go bro a lot and okay dude and I eat, while I'm, you know, through my a mouthful of kale and, and organic grass-fed eggs. And for the I, record, you know, Bud Light is Bud Light is shit beer. Uh, I, I give everybody relentless <laughs> hell whenever they show up with it. So, yeah, you're you're a blue ribbon guy, right? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but all joking aside, I, I feel like the flyover states meta is is always been um more. It there's definitely more Imperium players. Um, just like guard players, and th- th- that wasn't that was kind of a half joke. Um, but you guys also run a lot of like really competitive, you, you know. Um, uh, how do I describe them? You, you guys, you know what? Honestly, you guys just run a lot of guard, a lot of demons, a lot of chaos, and a lot of imperium, um, and a lot of really good stuff. I can't really describe it. I <laughs> I I don't know your guys' meta as well as all the others, which is funny because I talk about all the the mid the Midwest conquest tournament circuit gts like the renegade open the iron halo so you'd think i know you guys more 
Um, but you guys are usually you guys are usually random now, especially now that Matt Root's not dominating all the tournaments because he moved over to the East Coast. Yeah, and he's a little busy with his doctor stuff these days. Yeah, he was he was supposed to be at this and uh, send us a message and let us know he couldn't make it because he's he's firing off his residency soon, so he's not going to be as yeah. available for that kind of shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. It, I, what is all this like trying to benefit humanity with his charitable yeah. works? I don't even hey, get that. If if we got a second, I I, I kind of want to brag on him a little bit because you know we always hear the horror stories of guys doing you know crappy stuff near the top tables of uh, of events. Uh, did you hear about what he did at Midwest Conquest? Matt no. Root. Yeah. No. He uh, he played Alex, who we talked about earlier with the same list, and uh, him and Alex played their game, and, and I walked over after because I was done with my game, and Alex kind of had this look on his face, and Matt looked deep in thought, and I saw Matt kind of like, you know, pointing and like doing math in his head about what's going on, and I asked Alex, I said, how'd the game go? And, and he goes, oh, I lost by one point, you know, it was really, really tight, and I thought, well, I'm going to get out of here so you guys can figure it out, you know, and I, I walked away. And uh, I came back a little bit later, and uh, Alex said, you know, I wound up with the draw. And I was like, and I figured, like, you know, well, Alex went back through and probably did some math and figured out where he missed a point and, and fixed it. And Matt had a win, and he went through and, and played the game out and figured out the points. And he realized that him and Alex tied, and Matt went up and told them that he did not have a win, that Alex had a tie. So um, top-level player had integrity. You know, realized he didn't win the game and went up and chased it from a, a win to a draw, and yep. and and that was just amazing to me. That you know, we hear all these bad stories about guys at GTS and all these bad stories about guys at the top tables, but you know, Matt like that. My my hats off to that dude. Like that was classy as hell, and uh, I don't think you'll see that too often in a tournament, especially you know with the guys that are competitive at that level. And uh, he did it, and and on his own, no one prompted him, no one went back and looked but him, and uh, he took away his win and gave himself a draw. Yeah, Matt's I'm, a great guy. I'm yeah. actually going to disagree with you just a little bit there. Okay. I think you actually see that kind of behavior more often than most people will say. Uh, not to detract from what Matt did, I've I met the dude, he is a great dude, he is super nice and friendly, uh, but... I think most of the most of the top level competitive players are a lot more giving and a lot more willing to admit when they've lost a match, even if they would like to win the match, uh, than most people will say because it is it's the bad press that gets all the attention. Um, even when people do good things, it doesn't get talked about that much. Well, I'm talking about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You, I'm glad you are, because I think this kind of story does need to get spread to to let people know who are thinking about coming to a tournament that, like, it's not all just jerks ruining it for everyone. There's a lot of good people out there doing their best to play fun games. Yeah, I agree. To, to, pr <laughs> to bring the focus back to Matt, uh, Matt has always been like that, as far as I've known. He's, he's yeah. which is really funny, because he's right now, once again, in the running for the top ITC player you know, for the third year in a row, you know, year two, he took a break and he was still in the top five for most of the year. And then the only reason why he didn't win it or didn't, you know, didn't have a decent shot at winning was because he judged at the LVO. He helped a brother out and judged at the LVO, judged the friendly tournament too, um, instead of playing for the title again. So, so this year I think Matt's going for it again. Um, but yeah, he just, he just doesn't, it's not that he doesn't care about winning. It's just, he doesn't care about he he'd rather make friends and have a great time than win the game. So he's a great ambassador for the game, and I love Matt to death. Um, he's a great guy. 
Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the Boise Cup, the West Coast, the the place where where <laughs> players where players go to to play their their really weird off the wall Space Wolf list that that they swear has been working I, since Fourth Edition. I find it interesting that you think that Idaho is the West Coast when you, know, you live it, in you know. San okay, Jose area, so so let's but... let's go let's go the, let's go then let's let's go down the list but, here. Brandon yeah. Grant, West Coast. Josh yeah. Stroll, Boise. Fair enough. Cade yeah. Humphreys, Boise. Mitch mm-hmm. Pelham, West Coast-ish, West Coast-ish, yeah. more or less it, West. Um, and then three guys, three night players who I, I will learn about one day. Um, well, the one of their team names is Fisto Roboto. Yes, right. Um, um, which is a great team name, especially for a night player. Beautiful. Will Will Farley. You know, job well done. You're doing your <laughs> your uncle Chris Farley proud. Um, Mike Mike Snyder, West Coast. Oh, actually, mm-hmm. born and raised West Coast. Recently moved to Boise Cup, so he's a bit of a traitor. Thomas Hextremoki, West Coast, and Nick Hayden, West Coast. I'm not saying there weren't West Coast players there. I'm just it's saying that if we're talking about the coast, Boise is a little ways from the coasts. It's 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 closer than than Kansas. That's true. But um, <laughs> I don't think Kansas is close to anything, including Kansas. So maybe the <laughs> best comparison. We are dead center on the map of the U.S. So we're right. we're just as far from both y'all. Yeah, uh, but 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 joking aside and semantics aside, uh, the reason why I'm saying this is a West Coast quote unquote event is when you're going to tournaments, you you're going to draw people from from different regions, uh, the yeah. same people from different regions. So, so like when, when you go to the Boise cup, you're going to see, you're going to see Michael Snyder, who's a, who's a really good player. Um, he's on relentless D you're going to see, uh, Sean, um, who's not as good of a player. So you don't have to worry about, you know, tailoring your yeah. list to beat Sean. Yeah. I'll just roll all uh, ones and you'll win. So <laughs> there you go. But, uh, but the point is, is regions aren't defined by, um, factions so much as, the consistent players that show up. So, That's so when a guy true. like Matt Root or Nick Rose, um, who both just moved to the East Coast this in the past year, um, when they go to your region, like that's going to actually shake up your region dramatically, right? For so, sure. if, if yeah, if like Nick Nanavati moved to San Diego tomorrow, like you can bet your ass we'd all become a lot better at beating Eldar, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and in San Diego right now, we're actually not good at beating up Eldar. So, if you if you're a really good Eldar player and you want to come clean up, like come down to the SoCal Open, and you, I, I swear to you, we cannot, we do not play, we do not know how to play Eldar. We're, we're not a bunch of, you know, netlisting Eldar players. We're, we're a bunch of, um, of single faction scrubs, is, is pretty much how I describe us <laughs> down here in San Diego. Um, but uh, if you, if you plan on being serious, uh, and winning and going at least three and zero, or, or, or three and three and one, you know, four and zero, four and one. Um, kind of in that range, like maybe like the top ten percent, top twenty percent. Uh, you're gonna play one or two of these really good players. Um, so so you're gonna uh, have just, to, or else you won't win the tournament. Yeah, exactly. Or you won't go to where you need to go. So you're gonna be because they don't all all these top players don't make the top tables consistently, right? But if you look at like the top fifteen, you've got Ben Cromwell, who who's an amazing player. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not he's not on uh, Team Zero Comp anymore. Bit of a shame. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you you have Rich Kilton, one one of the best orc players in the world. Uh, you had Sean Sharp, uh, really good Relentless D, Dark Angels player, um, and then you know Nick Hayden, Thomas Extramoki, Mike Snyder. Those guys are all people who were out of the running for the top five, um, but they're really good players that lost a game early. Um, maybe they had some bad luck, and they're they're probably going to be playing people who who uh, who are in similar situations. Um, so they really want the win. 
because you don't want to go four and two. You want to go five and one at events. At least that's mm-hmm. at least that's the general thought process that I that's see. That's your so, goal, at least. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about Brandon Grant, um, Mister Mister San Diego. Even though he doesn't live in San Diego, yeah. Uh, the relentless D. He he's um he's been doing he's been doing a little little submarining at tournaments lately. Uh, he you know he if you remember I talked about him a lot last year on the podcast. Um, but he's a uh, coming back resurgent with an Astro Militarum list. And he's been doing really well with basically a standard guard list um, that you would have seen, you know, back when 8th edition started um, with a Shadow Sword. And that's pretty much it. He's also really high well, on Bulgren right now. I think, yeah, I was going to say, there's. I think there's a couple important things. I talked to him a little bit about his list uh, after the, the tournament. Uh, the Shadow Sword is something you've seen a lot, but it was a lot more important this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're seeing so many knights and other super heavies, and the Shadow Sword does work against them. Um, it's going to consistently kill one or two full-size targets every single turn, and then those heavy bolters are just going to kind of like sprinkle wounds all over the place. Um, and the other half of it is those Bolgren do quite a bit of work. Uh, they are very, very tough to kill. Um, he ran up against uh, the, the Orc player, uh, who's name is escaping me at the moment rich uh, Kilton. yeah rich um when they played those those bulgren kind of just tore their way through a big chunk of his army uh but not just the the bulgren uh one of the really important things that you're seeing in a lot more of the list these days is people are switching from cadians to Kadishan because Kadishans kill a lot of stuff in close combat yes um, you can do shenanigans like you know you've got one Kadishan unit locked in combat Use combined squads, blob in another squad next to them, and then go ahead and give them an order to all fight again. And all of a sudden, you're throwing out, like, 40 attacks because you got Strachan and a priest nearby. And then they'll get to fight again once it comes to the combat phase. And you've just made 80-odd attacks, hitting on fours, wounding on fours. And that'll that'll kill most things. There aren't a lot of things that... that are going to live through that that aren't like a full-on combat unit and having that combat utility in a guard army is really big yeah oh yeah absolutely and and um he he uh another thing about brandon grant is um he he always performs really well against top top players Mm -hmm. uh his last three games basically the 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 three games that mattered because once you go two and oh you're going to start playing other players who are three and oh or two and oh so your games are going to get significantly harder versus your first two games, right? Um, so his last three games were against Michael Snyder, who mm-hmm. who's a who ended up going, uh, getting top eight, eighth place, went four and one. Uh, Rich Kilton, you know, yep. the orc player who who was one draw away, one point away from going four and one, uh, and then Caden Humphreys, who's third the third place player. That's a uh, mm-hmm. Tyranids, orcs, and Death and uh, the Death Guard, which we'll talk about Caden's list because Caden's Death Guard list is kind of cool too. Yeah. Um, so Brandon Grant, th- these weren't easy like players and easy lists, um, and I think Brandon. I, I think if you look at a guard list like Brandon's, I, I don't know if it's necessarily the list um, so much as just Brandon being a phenomenal player. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. He's Brandon's a really good player. Um, should you emulate his guard list? Maybe. Um, I think the thing you could probably take away is that Bulgren are really good and bodies are still really solid. Yeah, I would say. Like most lists these days, it isn't so much that there is a list, it's look at the elements he's using his list and how they do work. 
and yeah. apply that to your own list building. As you can say, like, oh, I'm going to use this sort of combined squads with priests and orders to fight again trick to leverage some some stuff in my own list, or you know, I'm going to use his artillery setup uh, because he has an insane number of command points, and his basilisks get pretty much like five shots just about every turn. Uh, because, you know, you're rolling two, picking the best, you get to re-roll one of them, and he has enough command points to pop off stratagems just continuously all game long. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's just, he's just brought the guard list, like you said, to the stratagems, he's just brought the guard list to a point of efficiency that uh, a lot of the guard weaknesses, like the minus one to hits um, and the mass infantry clear, like, they just don't matter. Like, it, it's just his list is just hyper-efficient. And he plays it really well too. So yes, um, he 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 plays the mission which guard is surprisingly good at when you build it right. Yes, uh, and the other thing too is he brings ninety guardsmen, um, mm-hmm. and his thought process is that uh, he keeps a tally of, of how of how how much damage his Katachen guardsmen do, um, and he usually takes about sixty sixty will die like every game, and mm-hmm. then the thirty or so that survive usually. Uh, do most of the heavy lifting, and so they'll take out like like wave serpents and characters and and yeah. you know key things and objectives, and so he usually likes keeping a tally of of what his guardsmen do throughout the game. Um, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think if you're running something like that, um, I think you need like ninety. Or, if you're running body heavy armies, I think you have to run like like ninety or hundred hundred T three dudes to actually get anything out of them. Um, it, it depends on the kind of army you're running and other factors. You know, Guard are going to need more bodies than, say, Tau or Eldar are, but you hit a critical mass with that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, speaking of Eldar... Josh Stroll? Uh, yeah, got a pretty solid Dark Eldar list. Uh, Blackheart, of course, because what else would you have? But uh, interestingly, he is doing the pure Dark Eldar, uh, using the three detachments, one from each of their sub-factions. Because he has the, the basic... Uh, ra- he has a couple Razor Wings, three uh, Ravagers, a couple Raiders, and the Archon, obviously. And then he's running a few units of Obsidian Rose in a battalion uh, with some Warriors and Venoms and all that sort of nonsense. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, Warriors and uh, Void Raven. Um, and then he has the Prophets of Flesh, because that's what you always do with your homunculi and racks and all that. Um, and then some some Scourges with Shredders, which I thought was an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like, a, I think it's, I mean, obviously I'm not going to take anything away from Josh. Uh, I'm sure he's a really good player. Um, but it, I, I think I think that the there's a lot of Dark Eldar players who play with with these really weird you know Dark Eldar lists with their own unit preferences and all these Dark Eldar players are doing really well and so there's something that all the Dark Eldar players are taking that are just making Dark Eldar good and, and making them you know getting easy wins so to speak and it might be the Blackheart detachment I, I'm not a stratagem mm-hmm. sorry it might be that I'm not sure if it's if, what it is um, Dark Eldar are just a really good faction. Um, yeah. I, I think a big chunk of it is that they, like uh, Eldar, they do not give up ITC points very easily. Yes, not um, at all. It's very hard to score any points. You look at uh, that particular list, and it's like, what do you take against it? You know, okay, big game hunter. 
all right, you can you can get that off the flyers. It's not gonna be easy, but it's not gonna be ridiculous. He's only got three characters, so you're not really uh, or five four characters, but it's not gonna be that easy to get a full headhunter off him. He's got a lot of minuses to hit and stuff, so it's not going to be get that easy to get Death by Thousand Cuts. And he's got a lot of board control. He can kind of just spread out all over everything and pretty easily earn 12 points on Recon and whatever he can get out of your list. Um, so in that respect, Dark Eldar is very strong because they score a lot of points, but they don't give up very many. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's right. And, and they just... They're just such a good meta army right now. I, I, not just even just a meta army. They're just so good at everything, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, you know, He's got Dark a lot of Eldar. power, too. Yeah. Bam, Bam, have you got to play against any Dark Eldar? I, I've i played a couple times. Agents of Act is a pain in the ass. I just... Uh, it's brutal. It is. I You know, we haven't really seen uh, a bunch of Dark Eldar armies. You know, actually, the local guy that plays Dark Eldar... Uh, was Alex, and then we had another guy, Mike, that just played Dark... It was his first time playing Dark Eldar at this GT, so as far as what we got going on around here in Kansas, uh, just hadn't been a whole lot of Dark Eldar players popping up at the GTs, and like I said, I went to Midwest Conquest, and I didn't see one when I was there against anything I had, so, you know, it's it's going to be a learning experience for me the first couple times I've rolled into it, so I bought the Codex to research it, and that's about where I'm at, so that's probably why I'm quiet. Hmm. <laughs> um, so, so let's go ahead and move on to uh, Caden Humphreys. Uh, Caden is first off a, a re- really nice guy from from um, the limited interaction I've had with him. But uh, he brought a guard, a Death Guard detachment or Death Guard list with uh, some Thousand Sons, and this is a list that I think he's been working on for a while. Um, he he's uh, he's been painting it and building it up and, and practicing with it. Um, yeah, it's and a very nice looking army. Oh yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Um, he. He played Necrons originally, um, and then oh, I, okay. I think he basically this is like a, a year story in the making. So I think it's kind of interesting because he's married to a friend of mine named Isabella Izzy. Um, she who, who's won written, best overall with the tournament. She did. As she it did happens. win best overall. Um, it's the new power couple. Watch out! Watch out, Jessica. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the Bowmans. They're both legitimately good players with very nice looking armies. Like I think they're going to be making some splashes around the tournaments. Yeah. And Caden's only loss was to Brandon Grant, so so Caden Caden's yep. list Caden did really well. Um, he's also a really smart guy, but um, he's been working on this Death Guard list for oh, I guess a while, just from me talking and just like through word of mouth, just figuring out what's going on. Um, and it's nice to see this list doing well because it's it's a very more uh, traditional Death Guard list. I want to say well, it has Plague Marines first off. It's not like a billion Plague Bearers and Nurglings and Demon Prince. Like it's actually a more of a traditional Death Guard list. So he has two Chaos Lords, uh, a unit of Plague Marines, two units of Cultists, a Death Shroud Terminators, which is strange. Uh, he uses them to protect Mortarian mainly. Or at least okay. that was my experience watching his games. Yeah. Uh, uh, they can because they have the bodyguard thing where they can suck wounds off them on a yeah. two up. Nice. I want to say it's one of the lists with Mortarian had some Death Guard Terminators here recently, too. So, the one at the oh, Flying really? Monkey. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, and then two Val Blightspawn. Uh, one Hellforged Predator. Uh, one Plague Burst Crawler. Yeah, just one. One yeah. Hellforged Scorpius, which is just the Whirlwind Scorpius. Uh, one regular Chaos Predator. Mm-hmm. And then Aramon and a Thousand Suns Attachment, all by himself, yeah. and uh, Mortarian. Um, so, he probably yeah. bought Aramon for warp time. 
Wait, no. Um, no, he does bring he does get warp time. Okay. I was at, I was talking to him a little bit about his list as well because, you know, both he and Brandon were the, the the two finalists, so I was very curious about how they'd sort of come to the armies they had. Um Arimon is there as much as a utility piece as anything because he gets access to so many different spells. Warp time is obviously a great one, uh, but he also has all of the Zinch offensive spells that can target characters that can be used to, you know, snipe out Yvrain and stuff like that. Um, he has a variety of defensive spells that he can use to sort of like protect himself if he needs to be a tank. He can do a lot of different things, and he's getting three casts and I think three denies. It's either two or three denies. Uh, every turn with a plus one bonus. So he's just a psychic powerhouse for a pretty reasonable price. Yeah. Yeah, I, okay. I think that the, the the portion of the Thousand Suns, you know, I'm surprised when I see the Supreme Fan detachment without him. You know, it's when people yeah. run just three straight demon princes, because Armon, if you really look at him, he's he's probably one of the best things out of that Thousand Sun book. So, you know, I'd rather have a Spring Fan detachment of two, you know, Zinch Demon Princes and Arma. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to just three Zinch Demon Princes, but... It's, he doesn't uh, have the mobility and hitting power, but he's obviously a lot more powerful psychically, so I think it depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, I can see that. That's true. Uh, the thing I would like to call out on his list that uh, caught me a little off guard, both, well, not so much in, in his games, because obviously I didn't play him, but uh, seeing them around the tournament, those foul blight spawn you kind of glossed over, those guys are money. Um... They're just little basic characters uh, with all the usual Death Guard rules and everything. 77 Flamers. <laughs> a strength 2d6 flamer yep. with AP 3 and damage 3. I bought a Yavar that was 420 points. <laughs> he bought a character that was 77 points that had pretty much the same stats. They, they are pretty much unchargeable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and they you know they can do all the usual advance and shoot their gun. Uh, he runs one as his warlord uh, and gives it the arch contaminator trait so that it rerolls all failed wounds. So even if he rolls mediocre on the two d six strength roll, it's still going to shred through most vehicles and whatnot. Um, they're they're brutal little guys. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even know they existed. Damage three on that flamer, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I I think they're cool. often for whatever reason they're often overlooked in that Death Guard Codex. You know, everybody runs Plague Brisk Crawlers, but mm-hmm. you know, if you I think you need those in your backfield. I just uh, they're they're for what they do. If you've played against them, you respect them, and I just yeah. I just don't see how they're not auto include in the Death Guard. I'm honestly shocked at this point as well because I had also kind of overlooked them. I I knew they had the the AP three flamer. I didn't realize it was damage three. And the first time I ran into that, I was like, "Oh, why doesn't everyone have three of these?" Well, and then they you know they're characters, so they can also uh, yep. I believe believe they have the character keyword, so you can mm-hmm. you can screen stuff against them and just they they pretty much stay untouchable. And then if you get something back there to charge them, you know you got to be willing to eat that flamer to even get at them. So. Yeah, they're they're super nasty. I think that was definitely a big chunk of uh, what was making his list work. But yeah, he's just he's got kind of a toolboxy looking list. Uh, a lot of different kinds of units in there. A couple different predators, the Scorpius, and everything that just gives him a variety of ways to hurt different units. And he kind of he he keeps things moving around the field. 
and just like throws damage onto guys while staying pretty tough with all of his own units. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry, I was, I was a blanking out there. I got, I got a, a message from the wife who is, who is out in, in Sacramento enjoying a good vacation. Um, I apologize guys, but, uh, so, so let's go ahead. Do you guys want to move on to the next list? Yeah. Mitch. Mitch Pelham. Um, yeah. he's a, he's a, a nobody. We don't, we don't need to talk about him at all. <laughs> um, so so uh, Mitch, for those of you who don't know, Mitch Pelham um, was one game away from making the top eight at the LVO this past year. Um, he's also a phenomenal player. Um, and, and he's infamous for running in, hordes of yes, hellhounds. Artemia pattern hellhounds. So so uh-huh. so he, he his his real claim to fame, um, other than being a great guy and a good player, is spamming undercosted overpowered forge world units. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'll I'm sure jo- he will appreciate hearing that. <laughs> hey Mitch. <laughs> all, all joking aside, so he brought he brought another guard list. Um he brought a, a different flavor of guard list than Brandon Grants. Um they I think they both still want Catachan. Yeah. He so Mitch has Ironhead Strachan, three company commanders, uh, a whole bunch of mortar team infantry squads, um mm-hmm. and two regular infantry squads. Two at four, two astropaths, two missile RMPs, um, some platoon commanders, uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of Artemia pattern hellhounds, six just, to be just precise. Just three of them, actually. Well, it's three units of two, right? No, they're single units. It, the way the oh. battle scribe lists. Oh, okay. Weird. The way that okay, uh, okay, okay that it's three solos. Makes more sense. Okay, yeah. it's three solo Artemia pattern hellhounds, which is actually tame for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Are, aren't they like how many points are there? They're eighty some points. Yeah, they're like yeah. 85 or something like that. Because I think Trent was running those same ones here. Yeah, he, he was, was he, yes. in his guard detachment, yeah. They're, I they're think they're under-costed for what they do. Oh, so, absolutely, they so are. One, yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's, then, <laughs> it's the damage, too, on that flamer is really uh, big. Three heavy weapon mortar teams, and then a uh, a Knight Castellan, yes. which is which is his new... His new um, Claimed or his new uh, thing, our hard hitting shooting thing, uh, and then a Blood Angels detachment with with jump packs and captains and yep. three scout squads. So it's that's it's a very it's a very very um I, I kind of want to call it a very simple list. Like other than other than Strachan and all the commands, all the commands that he has to issue in the shooting phase. Like it's it's not it's it's a very simple list. It's got it's got guard, it's got the Hellhounds which can outflank if they need to, and um, it's got that Knight Castellan which probably does most of the work. Well, um. it's. It, I would actually say it is surprisingly similar to Brandon's list. If you really kind of break them down, it's what is it? It's a whole bunch of bodies. It's guys to buff those bodies. It is one big thing for shooting super heavies, and then some units for taking on tougher stuff. Uh, Brandon runs the artillery pieces, the two basilisks, the two wyverns, uh, and Mitch is running the smash captains and some of the other support elements. But at their core, the two lists are really very similar. They have one big thing that they keep just about impossible to kill uh, that sort of does a lot of the heavy lifting for them, and then they have a lot of bodies on the ground that are putting pressure on you and taking objectives and scoring points and doing all this stuff that's winning in the game. So you have to make the choice between killing his units that are winning the game and killing his units that are killing you. Uh Okay, so so I guess it's deceptively simple then. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, you, we say simple list. 
most lists are actually pretty simple when you really break them down. But um, it, the the same idea is there. Um, he has run versions of that with the Shadow Sword in place of the Knight, uh, and you know, the, or that swapped the Knight out for a whole bunch more Hellhounds and whatnot. Uh, but the basic idea is kind of the same no matter what. Okay. It, and and I, I'd really like to see like a guy like Mitch play like Brandon Grant, right? Like that those lists, because mm-hmm. their lists are so similar, but also very, very, I, I imagine they play them very, very differently. Um, yeah. Or maybe not. Because well, Mitch is, every time I, I watch Brandon Grant play, Brandon Grant kind of like, he focuses down, he analyzes the, the the list he kind of stays in one spot on his table and then he moves and he, he you know does his things precision but every time i see mitch play I, I always see mitch kind of like roaming around the table moving being all and it might just be the the all the outflanking hellhounds so i i don't think yeah. I, i've never seen mitch play anything other than that um but i would just love to see two really good players with two seemingly different play styles play similar lists um with their own twists right because yeah, brandon obviously has a, a shadow sword and, it would be a very interesting matchup one way or the other Oh yeah. All right. Um, and then after Mitch, we have three Imperial Knight players in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're all various. They're all varying degrees of um, of Knight list, so to speak. But they're all actually Knight lists. Um, mm-hmm. One has a unit of Admech as as a as a secondary. Um, they all have three to four knights. Some of them have Armagers. Um, but the thing I I noticed most about these lists is I don't want to go in detail too much with the, with them. Um, is none of them had a Knight Castellan. They only had Armagers. Nope. And they all had, like, Knight Wardens and Knight Errants and, like, the real, the weird budget Knights. Yeah, well, not budget they Knights, were... the, like, the weird, like, you know, uh, the the worst Knights. The basic the bad knight. ones. The basic Yeah, the bad knight. ones, They're so basics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's... I think that is something that um, players may be starting to come to a realization of, is that if you're running knights as a primary faction, it's actually very hard to fit a Dominus class into your list. Yes. Uh, because that, you know, that 600 points is a lot. And then it you're is. paying another 400 each for your other two knights. And that's just your basic attachment right there. You don't have a whole lot left after that. Now, were they playing with the FAQ in place? I don't believe so. Yeah, I don't think um, so. Yeah. No, let me let me check these guys' s- lists real quick. I don't know if he actually lists. It wouldn't have, have again. It wouldn't have changed those. things a lot because it basically would have just meant that like they had a couple more CP. So uh, so uh, Chris Davis wrote down on his list six command point per FAQ. No, oh, okay. On his, so so maybe they was. were allowing it. Uh, but the the reason why I wanted to talk about these lists and and highlight them all at once is is I feel like these lists are maybe suffering from the Dark Eldar effect. In that uh, it's a really powerful code. Like it's just the codex got significantly better. So I imagine these guys already had knight. These knights already they, maybe they were knight players in seventh edition, um, and I they just brought the knights they know. had because because they have like knight wardens and knight a knight mm. errant and armagers, which are. I know that is not entirely the case. Okay. Uh, I know because I again these are all players that I saw and talked to during the tournament. Okay. Um, at least some of them had built knights specifically for this event. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the case for all of those players. I'm not, you know, I talk to them, but I'm not super familiar with what they have played in the past. I, I haven't actually researched through BCP to, to find out what else they've been playing. Um, but 
I don't think any of them were just playing the models they had laying around. Um, uh, for example, uh, you know, like the um, Gatling Knight the, with the uh, the Avenger. The Warden. Uh, I know Keaton is a big fan of that because, like, he, he really likes the Gatling Relic. He, he gets a lot of mileage out of it. Uh, and similarly, he does he does the the stand up again night trick, and then push it back to full health and all of that. Um, and then you know that if you're playing Mechanicus, you can actually heal that guy up again pretty quickly if you get to it. So uh, he relies a lot on kind of you know the knights being very tough to kill. Uh, you know, just staying alive through anything you throw at them. And the other players obviously had different kinds of lists. Those the three lists are actually fairly different, yeah. even though their models are pretty close to each other. Yeah, but um, but they do all have one thing in common. They have mm-hmm. m- lots of night models. Well, not well. I mean, relatively at least they three, usually yes. more. Yeah, they they have uh, actual like running detachments. Five. So I, I think he was he running four three... and two armigers. Yeah, he had three. He had three full size and two armigers. Yeah, and then a unit of or a detachment of Admic, like you said. Um, uh, yeah, so not to take away from anything that these guys play, the like uh, I'm sure these guys also played really well. But um, it it just goes to show that when you bring a, a when you introduce a new codex, there's always going to be some sort of power creep. It's just just naturally the way mm-hmm. it is. Uh, I don't well, think it, what power th- creep is the word. It, that implies uh, that that codex is just better than everything. Right, right, it pushes right. the power level of the codex up for sure. Uh, yeah, because just the codex codexes have more rules. They have more stuff going on. Um, but that's not power creep. That's more GW bringing things in line with the existing books. Knights were just weaker than the the other factions until this codex was released. Uh, yeah, I mean, you saw a lot of knights really early in Eighth Edition, and then every sudden, all everyone realized that like a five-up invuln just didn't hold it when your opponent had nine las cannons shooting at you. Yeah, um, so so I think yeah, I think maybe people maybe people were caught off guard because these are these are not these are complicated knight lists. They're not like one mm. knight Castellan doing one or two things. Like they're they're yeah. knight lists with different with different households, different stratagems, different you know relics little tricks and, like admec healing and stuff so it can definitely catch people off guard if they don't know if they're unfamiliar with it and the the thing to note is that because they are all running the uh the basic knights the all the uh, questorus class um they're all fairly aggressive uh, all of those are knights who are more than capable of getting into close combat and causing a lot of damage and if you're not ready to kill off four like super heavy tier models then turn two is gonna look really bad for you yeah they're gonna charge and it's gonna be ugly yeah did, did you guys have any uh, i imagine maybe not if you guys weren't allowing the faq bam bam um but did you guys have a lot of knight players that were that were actually running lots of knights well at the middle tables we <laughs> nowhere near the top <laughs> you know it's you know trent and the other warhog player uh, had one you know it was a dominus class and that was it and most of the guys around multiple knights or knight heavy list uh, just weren't up up towards the top. But in not to be uh, this isn't to be mean or cruel, but most of them weren't the most experienced guys either. You know, one guy uh, bought the knight army a couple weeks ago, and that was like his. You know, he's played that knight list eight times, and six of them were at the GT. So, <laughs> but he managed to finish <laughs> three and yeah. three. You know, you know, and and another guy, same thing. You know, he. 
he's a uh, more of a hobbyist and uh, loves the knights, and that's why he showed up at the GT, and and he didn't do very well either. So, I, I think there's a bit of a learning curve is being able to play at that level and having knights. So I'm not sure they're a true representation of you know what a guy would have done, knowing what he was doing, having heavy knights there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and and the other thing too, and, and this is this is something that you see consistently at tournaments um is is uh your the flying monkey gt was six rounds and the boise cup was five rounds um so that that's very very important because if you look at these night players they all they won their first two games um but two of them didn't lose a game until the final rounds um which which implies that as they as they played better players uh they lost and and that's usually true of like gimmick lists or or gatekeeper lists or um or lists with yeah. underpowered factions like orcs and stuff like the orc players will will do- win go four and zero and then lose their next two games because they're actually playing people who know what they're doing or they actually play people with really powerful armies or both. Right, yeah, and like I and go ahead. I'm of the school of thought that I, I think people that run you know a heavy knight list where it's the majority of it, it's a bunch of knights are going to be those gatekeeper armies. I don't think those yeah. guys are going to be on the top tables at all. Mostly. Well, I disagree. Yeah, I disagree. Yeah. I've got the I've got the night list to to beat all night lists, but <laughs> I think we talked about, about it a little bit the other day. So, like, Pablo, I think I, fi- I figured it out. It's nothing but Helverins, right? Yes, that yes, nice. and they just I shoot everything. Yep, <laughs> that's it. Not that's nine Helverins and call it a day. Yep. <laughs> okay, but um. Uh, so so after the the trio of night players, we have a, a trio of really great guys who mm-hmm. I know personally really well. Uh, well, actually, not not Nick Hayden. I don't know him personally that well, but but um, I know him and I've talked to him in person. Um, so we've got Michael Snyder and his Tyranids, uh, and and Michael Snyder's always got interesting Xenos lists, um, but this one is probably the most interesting one I've seen him run. Um, hmm. In that it's not interesting at all. <laughs> so he has so he has two units of neurothropes, uh three by sixteen units of termagants, six hive guard, five carnifexes, three flyants, and three units of rippers, and that's the list. Yeah, it's pretty much that's, just monsters. It's yeah, it's just the best that Tyranids has to offer at the moment. So normally he yeah. runs like Tyranids and, and Gene Stealers and maybe it's, some guard and yeah, that, that was the, what I know was the absence has... of Gene Stealers. Yeah, yeah, the no gene stealers in the list at all is definitely an unusual inclusion, um, and he does set up his carnifexes a little bit differently than you typically see because he's running a venom cannon and the death spitters on them rather than devourers. Uh, right, but it's 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 fundamentally not like a crazy like whoa who expected that from tyranids? It's more of just kind of like it's a oh standard yeah, good tyranid models. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yeah. So so uh, but he did really well. He went four and one. Um, and, and I think, I think Mike's in a bit of a, a identity crisis with his list. Um, he's been changing oh, yeah. his list up every, every event I've seen him play at. So, oh, so, okay. um, uh, anyway, this is just another, just another flavor. We'll, we'll see what he comes up with. Um, but there's certain players cause Mike, Mike and Mike Snyder is one of them. Um, there's certain players who, who consistently sniff around the top tables at every event they go to Nova, LVO, you know, it doesn't matter where, where the event is. Um, and you need to be aware of players like like him and Sean Dane's another one, but Sean Dane's like mm-hmm. the evolution of that player. Where <laughs> you, you know, where for every like Mike Snyder or um or Jeff Poole or like James Carmona who 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 does really well and then doesn't get to the top player, but they run like their brand of list. You have like a Sean Naden who who 
who like is better than all of them, right? Um, but but these are players who who uh, they play their own way, they play their own style of lists, but that they just outplay everyone, and then they do really well. But when they get to the like top, 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 uh, they usually either lose because of bad luck or they lose because their lists are are fundamentally worse than the lists that they're up against. But the players are better, or the players are on par with them. So mm-hmm. they're at a, a disadvantage. But I, I would call Mike Snyder one of those guys. Um, yeah. So just keep that in mind when you guys are playing your games. If you guys get... if uh, I would I would one day just to like talk, go on a podcast and talk about every notable player um, who oh, I wow. think will make like the top 50 at the LVO. Because there's a bunch at this point, right? That's a long episode right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot. Um, I'd like to just do player profiles. I think that would be really fun, too. But then that might be unfair to the, the players, right? You'd be like, oh, that's Mike Snyder. I've heard him. I, but then again, like, mm-hmm. there's a... Sean Naden told me a funny analogy at the LVO. Um, he played his very first round. Um, he played uh, a, guy, a guy who who just absolutely crushed. And he was like, man, Pablo, Pablo never told me about you. Or his list, or your list. <laughs> and Sean Nain's like, dude, I, I'm on his podcast. Talk, he talks about it on his podcast like every week. <laughs> um, uh, but but yeah, I would like to do player profiles one time and see, you know, just see where. So you guys, just so you guys know, like who the top players are, who the top players are, right? So you guys can stop bugging me and asking me questions and, and start bugging <laughs> them and asking them. Questions. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Anyways, uh, let's go to Thomas Oki. Who, um, congratulations. Yeah has a has a uh young kid who who was just spawned this year spawned into life um he he had a blood angels list um which is which is kind of a true to what thomas runs thomas likes to run single faction space marine lists um he's got sanguinor lamardes uh sanguinary priest on a bike and i didn't know that sanguinary priests could go on bikes so that's, that's kind of i cool. think they get it through the index yeah yeah that's a uh, index thing uh, three units of scouts, and then a vanguard detachment with a librarian with a jump pack, 15 death company marines, uh, sanguinary ancient, and eight sanguinary guard with plasma pistols and inferno pistols, and one knight crusader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's his list. So he's got blood angels with a knight. Um, and he his first game was a loss, and they won the rest of his game, so he submarines to his position. But <clears throat> uh, it's a list like that is interesting, right? Because you, you've got You've got these these bloody. It's actually unoptimized. I, I feel like he might he might disagree with me. We get into arguments all the time, um, but it, it's not like the the clear you know list that you see in the top tables where like Mike Snyder's list is is a great example. It's like six Hive Guard and and three Carnifexes with this and and well, two Neurothropes and Thomas Oki's list just feels like it's all over the place. It's it's not what you typically see, but I think it is optimized for what it is trying to do. Um, I don't know which household his knight is actually from. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't see that. it on there. Yeah. Well, um, and that's a PSA, by the way, for you knight players. Uh, as I was going through the, all the knight lists in both of these events, a lot of you guys aren't putting your houses down for your for your list. You guys got yeah. You guys got to get do, on that. All right. Do that. It's it's <laughs> actually super important. Otherwise, <laughs> you don't have a household. If uh, the Tyranid players can put their high fleets down on their lists, you guys can put your households down on your list. Like. Welcome to 8th edition, where, where it's yeah. not just Space Marines with chapter tactics. But, yeah, but uh, if you if you look at his list, it's just very aggressive, and it yeah, puts 15 the whole death army on... T- yeah, because yeah. he, he, he has the stratagem, he spends two command points to move and advance the death company before the game starts, 
He has the stratagem to take that unit of uh, Sanguinary Guard and plop them nine inches away from your army, and then he rolls that knight up. And, and then Lamartus buffed them up a little bit. Yes, Lamart gives some uh, some additional benef- bonuses to the Death Company, and it's a big enough unit you can always string them out to make sure he's in range. Yeah. Uh, you know, the scouts obviously infiltrate onto the field. The Sanguinary Priest can give them some more bonuses, and so can Sanguinor and other guys. He's got a whole bunch of buff auras and uh, stratagems to push units forward, and basically he assaults you with everything in his army turn one. Turn um, two. Cause no turn you. one. So the sang- how does Sanguinary Guard and the Blood? Because the, the Sanguinary the Guard company, can come down. The, 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 he doesn't deep strike them. Right. So the, the Death, Death Company, company take move. a free movement before the game and then move again and charge yeah. you. So the so Sanguinary Guard use the stratagem to redeploy on Wings of Fire and place the whole unit, or at least that's what I'm assuming he does with them. Um, now, does, does that work? Because I yep. always thought that Wings of Fire put them into reserve and then no, no, no. couldn't do that. Nope. It, they very specifically FAQ'd that abilities like yeah. On Wings of Fire, Teleport Shunt, stuff like that, that allow you as, to redeploy as though coming out of reserve, still work even with the beta FAQ. What? As long as they started so, on the board. As long as they start on the board. And do they still get the 3D 6-inch stratagem for the charge? They sure do. Oh, so wow. his whole army charges you turn one. Okay. That's right, what well, his then... game plan is. I'm presuming. I am making a lot of inferences here. I didn't actually see any of his games, yeah, but I, I, that's what I see when I look at that list. Well, his army can also his army can also start off the board, and he can just wait and sit on you know sit on on uh, in reserves until he needs to drop down. Sure. Right? Like it's it's very versatile. Yeah, you can have more than one plan, but the the obvious plan is that it goes very aggressive and you are abruptly dealing with a whole lot of melee units. Yeah, I think the, you're taking a huge risk with a lot of that stuff on the board turn one. Oh, yeah. That's just yeah. me. It depends on terrain and whatnot. If you can right. you know, move those guys behind buildings and ruins and such that, so that they, the enemy doesn't get to really shoot at them very much, then it's pretty safe. Yeah. And so here's here's my thing. And and Thomas is a really good player, so he might have just outplayed all of his, all the people he, he beat. But um, it doesn't have a lot of board presence. It has like no. six characters, or something, five or six characters. Uh, the knight who who is good but doesn't have a lot of board presence because he's a knight, mm-hmm. um, and then just the three scout squads and the two big units of um, of death company and the sanguinary guard. So, yeah. So he really like he really just gives up one part of the board freely, um, and sure. then also there's you know I'm sure you've got a lot of random good shooting like the the bike with the twin bolter and the knight. But I feel like he can't clear bubble wrap that well. So mm. I feel like a, a a list like Brandon Grant's list or or Mitch Pelham's list will just like roll up, and 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 then the Sanguinary Guard and Death Company when they finally do decide to come down will just hit guardsmen. The knight will be dead. The knight's gonna die to or or get degraded because well, you know because they've got their me, own shadow. Let's sword be fair, Pablo. He went four and one. He didn't win the tournament. Like that's true. That, yeah, that is very very true. Um, it's, uh, yeah, the list has flaws. I don't think anyone's pretending otherwise. Right. So, uh, so I guess my point is, is that, is that if you were, if you were Thomas Oki, or if you were this, if you wanted to run this style of list, where would you, what would you do? What would you change this list to, to overcome the flaws? Mm. Is I guess that's that's where the thought process is, where I'm coming from. Because every time I see a list like this, a list that I, I that looks fun to play, and, and I look like I want to play it, I always look at at the list and see. Kind of like see where the person who's running it, 
where, what they were thinking with their decisions, and then I always try to improve on the list. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a bigger discussion than we can realistically that's have true. in this episode, though. That's like, true. I'm just how do I improve this entire list? Is like, well, um, to me, I'd, I'd drop the knight and buy 500 points worth of guard. <laughs> so, that's what I was thinking. That's, yeah. that's my thought on it too. <laughs> I, I think it depends on what you're trying to do with the army, and again, yeah, yeah. I don't know what household he's running with that knight. So potentially, he could be doing some other stuff that keeps that knight in the. It gets in turn one, but maybe not. I don't actually know. Yeah. And then finally, we have uh, Mr. Blood of Kittens himself, Nick Nick Hayden. That is right. That is that Nick Hayden, right? Yep, Nicholas Hayden. He's the one. Okay. okay cool. uh, although, a sad story, the, he had a database error that basically ate the entire site like a few days ago. No, uh, that's not good. It's like, it's possible the site is just gone forever. Because uh, oh, no. his backup is like five years old or something stupid like that, so I I real fe- I really feel for the guy, but I understand if he doesn't want to, you know, try and redo five years of work. Yeah, um, yeah. For those of you who don't know, uh, Blood of Kittens is one of the premier competitive 40k uh, sites that you can go to. He's got lists up there, articles, all the He's tournament coverage. Really good at collating and compiling information from all the yes. tournaments that have gone out. Right, so um, so if you guys want to give Blood of Kittens a quick look, or maybe follow him on Facebook or something, and um, and mm-hmm. maybe support him, help him out, give him maybe might need a couple bucks or something. I don't, I don't know. Generally, with things like that, you know, support's always good. Yeah, I don't um, know what he's what he's hoping for at this point, or what he what he's gonna go going forward with this. But I really feel for the dude that it sucks to have something just completely vanish on you like that. Yeah. Uh, so so anyways, Nick Hayden. Uh, onto onto some more lighter spirits because I love his list. This is my favorite list in the top <laughs> ten easily. It's my favorite list on this show. And it's because his very first two HQ choices are Calgar and Sar. Sar- um, excuse me, <clears throat> Ultramarines Chapter Master Marnius Calgar and Sergeant Tellian of the oh, Ultramarines Bad chapter. Demon. <laughs> bad Gaiman and yeah. and bad Illic Nightspear. Uh-huh. I, I prefer yeah, I Kmart. Those guys. I, I prefer Kmart Gillian. Gillian oh, yeah, so. the blue light special. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the blue light special Gilliman. Yeah, uh, and he also has a lieutenant with the Sanctikalo. Uh, two two sniper scouts, one unit of five, one five man tactical marine unit with one single las cannon, mm-hmm. ten terminators with cyclone missiles. Yes, yeah, ten tactical terminators <laughs> just. Basic Terminators dropping out of the sky. Nick's a brave man. 500 points of the suckers, too. Yeah, Yeah. that that wasn't good four editions ago. (laughs) It's never been good. It's never been good. Um, He he managed, you know, he went four and one with it. Like you you said, he's a smart man. Um, And then he got an air wing detachment with three storm wing, storm talons with twin assault cannons and sky hammer missile launchers. And then Mm -hmm. three devastator squads with uh, one heavy weapon each. Yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting thing. And a li- that goes with and, like them. you know, you, Pablo, you talk about optimized. You talk about optimized lists. Like I look at this and I see things that I just I, I don't think are optimized. I just no. like you know throwing the missile launchers <laughs> in there with the scouts. Where, like, where do we start? Just, where, where, yeah. where do we where do we start with <laughs> Nick, this? Nick takes the lists he wants to take, and he is yeah. unapologetic about it, and I respect oh, yeah. that. Yeah, the, this looks like the the kind of list you would, you get like a commission. On. So this is actually the exact kind of list you would buy. I would buy in the secondhand shop, um, where it looked like someone just got a commission, a 40k commission, beautifully painted, and then it's just like random stuff. Like maybe it was the painter who picked all the weapon loadouts on all the weapons. Yeah. Well, all and the if units. you 
And if you look how he scored, you know, he did win five games, but he never scored above. I think the highest score he had was 23. So he was in low 20s mm-hmm. as far as the games yeah. he did win as far as scoring. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he definitely did not score a lot of points there. Um, but I wanted to give him a shout out because because he brought Ultramarines. He brought my boys in blue and went four and one. Um, so could and didn't bring Gilliman either. Terminators, yeah. Like That's who expected the new meta. that? Yeah, you heard it here, Stop. guys. <laughs> you should feel dirty you know, jo- just saying joking, that. Joking aside, um, I, I think I think that that uh, so so let's go ahead. And, so I, I'm going to move on to to kind of the second half of the show, um, or, or kind of like the final thoughts segment. But um, the, I'm talking to Relentless D, and obviously they went to this tournament. Uh, Brandon Grant, Mike Snyder, and Sean Sharp are all on the Relentless D, which is my team. Um, They've been talking about how the meta is shifting away from horde armies, right? Uh, and we talked about that a little too. Um, and I definitely see that. So, so units like terminators or elite units like sanguinary guard and stuff, um, you might start to see them more and more. Uh, it just depends on on what people do with knights. Um, if people run three knights, then elite armies aren't going to do it, and horde armies will stay at the top. Um, but if people just do the one knight castellan and hordes. Uh, horde armies are still going to be very popular. Um, so I kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Where, where the direction of the meta is going to go from here? I, I'd like uh, to see horde armies kind of take a step back, but I'm not sure that's going to happen with the way you know we we score things in ITC. I just think that uh, guys like board control, guys like holding down objectives with objectives to your troops. Um, the 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 thing I don't like about it in a lot of ways is a lot of people that play those type of armies. You know, it's a huge time constraint. It just uh, and that's why I was hoping knights would kind of bring some balance to the force in that sense. But it's uh, I, I'm I'm undecided. I really am. I'm sure Sean's got a little bit better of an expert opinion than I do on it. But uh, I'm not sure I can. I'd call it like an expert opinion. My my intuition is that you will see more large targets: the knights, the shadow swords, Mordian Martarian, uh, stuff like that. Kind of making a little bit of a comeback here. But horde armies aren't going to disappear. Uh, like you said, it, holding the board, controlling objectives, taking table quarters controlling the enemy's movement, those are all really powerful things, and those are things that armies with a lot of infantry models on the ground do very well. And it's not just an ITC. Those do great in the Nova missions. They do great in the base rulebook missions, uh, because you win the game by controlling objectives, it turns out. And <laughs> so you're going to keep seeing those armies. They, they're probably going to become somewhat less dominant, and people are going to have to split their tools. You're going to need the tools to kill both 100 guardsmen and 3 knights. And that can be tough to do. But those are definitely both going to be armies you'll see kind of hanging around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think that uh, I think that there, there's there's a ton of, first off, there's a ton of knight players. It's like, it's like when I predicted at the beginning of 8th edition that a lot of guard players would start coming out of the woodworks. And and I was right with the with the the numbers that Val and I went over last year mm-hmm. on chapter tactics. If you guys want to look at those, guard players were all over the place. But if you looked at the numbers for guard players in seventh edition, they were significantly less. Um, and a lot of guard players kind of like took a step back. Well, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of players who own knights. Like ever since Imperial Knights came out and the Knight Renegade boxes, which which they've come out two years now in a row. Um, there's a lot of people with knights. So. 
so you're definitely going to see more of them. Um, they're going to be a constant, but it's just what role will people perceive them to have is is important, right? Um, so if you guys listen, I, I would suggest if you guys are actually curious, legitimately curious and trying to predict this, um, I would listen to all of the podcasts, all of the big podcasts, and what they're what they're talking about, what kind of like the the best players are running about or thinking about, um, and then that'll kind of trickle down into the 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 lower ranks and the, all the rest of the masses basically, um, and then that'll become like the the standard, and then from there you'll be able to predict you know if the standard is three nights you, you'll be able to predict like okay well I'm gonna see at least one or two nights and some armagers every game, but if the standard is just like one night Castellan and guard, uh, you just expect to see like a lot of hordes and a lot of guard. Um, well, I, I think and, something and too that's you know on the horizon. One thing we haven't really talked about is uh. You know, one of the biggest horde armies of them all is getting a book soon. Orcs. Yeah, orcs. Yep. So, I, you know, I don't think the meta, even if we settle into a meta the next month or two, the the second that book drops, you know, I think we're going to see changes instantly. So, you know, I, I don't know if I want to get too headstrong on building something that is going to have to change when that comes anyways. Yeah, yeah it, it, that's 8th edition or nutshell right there. Like, we're yep. seeing books come out so fast... And not just come out, but be influential. Uh, you know, in 7th edition, lots of books dropped and no one cared because they weren't Eldar. Uh, but in 8th edition, every book that comes out, we're seeing a significant shift to how the game is playing. And even the armies that early on were kind of dismissed as like, oh, you know, this doesn't really matter, it's not important to the meta, uh, are are starting to pick back up again. Like, Admac just kind of came out of nowhere in the last month or two and yep. has taken a lot of top spots in tournaments well so, i think admech having a resurgent was directly related to the the faq and you know in the second turn oh yeah absolutely deep striking as opposed to the first yeah yeah but but that's the sort of changes we're seeing on a week by week and month by month basis basis here is that this is a very fast moving target if you're trying to predict the meta uh, there's just there's so many things shifting and not even talking about individual regions where, you know, West Coast does this, East Coast does this, Midwest does this. Um, just trying to figure out where the meta is going to be a month from now is is hard because there's so many things that are coming out that completely upend that. Yeah. Well, here's the good news. Um, it's almost over. Uh, you have the big <laughs> you have the big summer FAQ, right? Uh, which is coming up? Um, actually, no, not summer. If you, what's what's coming yeah, up? Do, is there fall. anything in the summer? They do fall, the fall, they do the one spring, right after Nova, spring and spring and fall, where there are right, two big right. FAQs. Okay. Um. So so you have you, orcs and space wolves are are pretty much it. And sisters, I guess sisters are probably going to shake up the metal a little when they come out, especially when plastic sisters. Uh, Gene Steeler Cole is not out yet. You're right. Yeah. Um. But but here, Gene Steeler Cole is will be unpredictable depending on where GW decides to go with the faction, because it's so new. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what you're getting out of orcs, for sure. And 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 I, I, I'm speaking as someone who who has insider information, um, obviously won't share anything with you guys, but um, I'm not using that information to make the, my opinion here. I'm just, just basing what I know off of the faction already. Is orcs are, orcs are going to be terrifying. They've already got everything they need to beat the two styles of armies that you're going to see a lot of, which is, which is hordes and... Uh, like big elite vehicle spam like Carnifex. Uh I guess T T5 or 6 
nine wound spam because orcs can kill all the infantry models and then all the hidden power claws and stuff will will tear into things like talos and carnifexes and knights and shadow sword everything right um so orcs are, are perfectly built to counter meta everything else they just need more right they just need like cool stratagems characters which they're going to get you know they're going to get something good right um, so mm-hmm. when orcs come out, that'll be a huge shakeup, and I feel like orcs might be really, really powerful because because they, they, they can deal with knights and hordes specifically. Um, and then we don't know what we're going to get out of space wolves. I I don't know what we're going to get out of space wolves. Um, it's an elite army, so it has a chance of just going the Grey Knight route and just being dead on arrival, um, or maybe wolfen or just just become bonkers. I don't know. Well, space wolves is my main chick, so I'm hoping we get a good book out of it. So it's... <laughs> They've done pretty good about making most of the more recent books solid. So I I think, like I said, every book that comes out has been relevant to the meta in the in the past like six months. So even even the ones that have been initially dismissed, we've seen come back a lot stronger after people have some time to play with them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's very exciting. Um, and it one you know I imagine a few months from now. Uh, we'll be talking about a stabilized meta and and everything will shaken out and we'll actually be able to get you guys like real power rankings that won't get shaken up every month. And I, uh. I wonder what GW is going to do once all the codex is out. They can't just stop producing products, so they're going to they're going to put out something. Uh, yeah. But the question is what and how often and how's that going to change things? Well, so they have to be to careful, yeah. right? Because because like in seventh edition, actually that's what killed seventh edition is is they had all the codexes starting coming out and it was like, oh, cool, it's kind of going steady. And then Inari came out and everyone's like, what the hell is going on with this Inari codex? And they also came and out the, with the like the, the Curse of Fenris or whatever. Yeah, all with the, the supplement demon, like, garbage. All, yeah, all the yeah. stupid was, yeah. like, the stuff that they're going to have to revert back to, right? Because because they're not going to have codexes to release anymore. So they're going to have to revert back to supplements and Maybe? Primarchs, uh, crossing my fingers. I mean, so it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I I think it's it's hard to say. Maybe they learned their lesson from all that, and they realize well, that people don't want game changing supplements that invalidate their codex. Yeah, and they have you know they have a great tool for that too. I think uh, I really hope that's what they're going to utilize chapter proof for. You know, yes. is that chapter proof is going to be what keeps the game fresh? You know, they might come out and tweak rules, tweak points, and uh, just doing that in itself can make it feel like they, a completely new game. So, and they've pretty much straight up said that they are going to. They did so with the last chapter approved. There's every reason to think they will do so again with this coming one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good talk. Good. Good talk, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, if you guys are interested in hearing more of what uh bam bam has to say r-rated things that bam bam has to say he's been really tame i'm very 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 proud of you you know i was a i was a police officer for 20 years and i had to keep my mouth shut at work so i think in my off time that's why it all comes out so can can you ruin this show's rating by just like saying one dirty word right here at the tail end for us i want to hear a dirty story I want to hear a patented <laughs> Bam Bam dirty story right now. Oh man, I to, uh, to reward all the listeners who who came by, who waited this long. I could I could tell you something horrible I did at Midwest Conquest. Done. So uh, <laughs> it was a uh, we went to uh, Midwest Conquest and uh, we decided to take a walk in downtown Kansas City and go take a place to to eat. And uh, back when I was in the army, we used to play this game called Ambush, and uh, I'll explain to you what Ambush is. And uh, 
one of our guys is named Seth, and uh, we call him Baby Gap because uh, all of his freaking shirts are just way too tight. So um, we always tease and ask him if he's wearing his daughter's shirt or if he took it out of his <laughs> wife's closet. And, you know, and just uh, he, he's a good support and he goes along for the ride. And so we went in this restaurant and we'd all been drinking and, you know, shenanigans ensued. And we all took a trip to the restroom and there's Seth standing at the urinal. And I was like, man, that's a... That's a pretty low-hanging urinal. And uh, from about six feet behind him, I pissed between his legs. And uh, he he couldn't do anything but stand there and just wait for me to finish. So that was, <laughs> you know, it's, so what's he going to do? Is he going to turn and chase me and, and get it all over his legs? And mm-hmm. so uh, there's 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 a, there's a horrible story for you, Pablo. So. There we go. That's a good, and, uh, that's how you end a podcast. Well, if you want, <laughs> I've got a, I've got some others on my that. podcast. There's a stripper one that Pablo really likes. Oh, I love so. that one. That was yeah. the best one. He, uh, um, that that's uh, I don't have the date for that one. You know, it's it's that's one that you're just gonna have to go to the Flying Monkey podcast and and listen through and find on your own, guys. But if yeah, you, if you and if you could one, if you could sort if you could sort through the the mealy mouth stuff that I say, there's a there's a little bit of content in there for you. So yeah. <laughs> is good. All right, guys. Well, uh, Flying Monkey Podcast, Bam Bam, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, yeah, thanks so for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thanks for running a, con- a convention. We have we now have another large 40K tournament to to plan around, um, and that's that's always huge. So guys like you, community leaders who put in the time and effort, and I, trust me, I know I know how much time and effort you guys put into that, uh, a con like that. Um, it's, 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 thank you. Thank you for for doing that, and it's it's a boon to the community, and it only makes us grow, and it you know helps people like me put food on the table for our daughters, and it helps our our lovely community grow and helps each other out. So it's great. Mm. And Sean, Sean, it was really nice to have some time hanging out with you, man. I look forward to meeting you yeah. in person someday. I'm I'm hoping to make it out to Flying Monkey one of these years. It's just I gotta find a way to get there. Is there any way you guys can move Kansas a little bit closer to the rest of us? Man, you know? if I if I could do that, I uh, I, never mind. I'm not saying so. I was gonna say but, just like a set of wheels or something, yeah. kind of like strap. But then on it the wouldn't be Kansas, city. right? Yeah, yeah but sure. is that that's a good thing, right? Yeah, you can uh, have all of our trailer parks. They have wheels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. We here in Oregon got plenty of trailer parks of our own. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks very much for listening. Once again, if you guys have any emails, uh, comments, questions, concerns, uh, and you want to talk to me, frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to go to frontlinegaming.org and purchase your fat mats or your FLG mats. Sorry, not, not, I didn't say that. FLG mats, <laughs> ITC terrain, <laughs> GW products, secondhand store products, anything else, uh, we've got you covered. And go to brokeneggames.com, our sponsor. If you click on the link in the notes, that'll help me out and get you some sick, awesome 40k templates to make your tournament play that much more smoother. All right, guys, have a good one. Yeah, if wargaming was easy, it'd be your mom. Whoa.